Good evening and welcome to our coverage of the midterm executive committee meeting of the International Council on English Braille. My name is Matthew Horsepool, coming to you from the UK, where we last hosted the General Assembly in October 2020. But this year, it's not being hosted by the UK. It's being hosted by Braille Literacy Canada. And so I suppose good evening was probably not quite the right term to be using. It's uh, just a little after half past three in the afternoon, US Eastern Time. That is, I believe, if my time zones are right, half past 12 uh, Pacific time. And uh, by the end of the week, I'll be much better at doing this whole time zone thing than I am right about now. This is the first of five days of coverage. Uh, I'll be here for all of them. And there will be a co-host each day. And I'll be introducing that, that co-host very, very soon. Uh, but before I do, I think probably it's probably worth giving you a bit of an overview of uh, what to expect from today. Uh, as I say, it's about 25 to the hour uh, as we're talking at the moment. We will be getting underway with proceedings quite promptly, I would say, at 9pm in the UK. That's 4pm US Eastern, 1pm US Pacific. And there are other time zones as well. I'm just uh, not going to list them all because we could be here all day. So I'll announce in my time and the time of the host country. I think that's uh, probably a fair way to do it. And that gives us a bit of redundancy in case I get my time zone calculations a bit mixed up. But uh, yes, so we'll start at nine. And the first thing that we hear at nine is uh, a welcome from the Canadian host, uh, which is Jen Golden and uh, Natalie Martiniello. Uh, Natalie Martiniello, we'll hear from in just a bit, is the president of Braille Literacy Canada. And Jen Golden is the chair of the organizing uh, committee. Uh, and that will last about 10 minutes, all told. Then it says on the agenda, we have a welcome from the ICEB president, Judy Dixon. Uh, we think that Judy is going to be here. Um, Judy, a bit of inside information for you, is currently doing guide dog training. So who knows whether she'll actually uh, turn up on. I mean, she's not literally doing guide dog training today, uh, but she's in guide dog school. So um, she may be a little bit late, in which case we'll move on to the next item on the agenda and come back to it, I guess. And then we have the keynote address from Debbie Gillespie, and we'll hear more about that in a bit, uh, followed by a vote of thanks and then a break. In the second hour, we will have an introduction of the executive members and the observers. We will approve the agenda. We'll adopt the uh, minutes. Now, that this is interesting. We'll be adopting the uh, May minutes from the May executive committee meeting. So we're not adopting the minutes of the last midterm. We're not adopting the minutes of the last General Assembly. We're adopting the minutes of the last just regular uh, monthly executive committee zoom call then we have jen golden back she's going to do the treasurer's report then we have something called in memoriam which is where we can remember uh what does it actually say a time to remember braille leaders who have passed away since we met virtually october 2020 and that actually we have 25 minutes for that uh, in case there are lots of people to remember and then a, another break and then in the final hour Mary Schnackenberg from New Zealand is going to be presenting the Constitution and Bylaws uh, report, and there'll be a discussion about that. And then Natalie Martiniello, who I've talked about earlier on, will be back to do the Research Committee report, and that will be it for today. I've said a lot about Natalie Martiniello, and it's a great pleasure actually to have Natalie Martiniello as the co-host for today's session. Natalie, hello. Lovely to have you with us. 
Hello, thank you for having us and welcome everyone virtually to Canada. Uh, it's wonderful, isn't it? I was just saying before we got on air, it's so exciting. I remember when I did this in October 2020, just being so nervous, you know, is everything going to work? And, and now we just know it's going to work and it's going to be brilliant and we're going to have a fantastic five days. Absolutely. Get people together to talk about Braille and it could only go well. <laughs> this is what we'll say. Yeah, absolutely. And you are the president of Braille Literacy Canada. So how did that come about? Yeah, so Braille Literacy Canada, it's Canadian Braille Authority. Um, I've been a member for a very long time. I'm a lifelong Braille user. Um, I'm also a researcher at a local university here focusing a lot on Braille. And I actually began as secretary of Braille Literacy Canada back in 2013, became president four years ago. Um, and I'm also a director, a member of the executive um, for ICEB, of course. Um, but it's just been a pleasure. It's um, BLC, like ICEB, is full of people who are so excited about Braille. And so um, it's, it's a lot of fun. We get a lot done, but it's also a lot of fun. Absolutely. And, and BLC is really interesting in the Braille space, certainly from my point of view. Um, the ICEB, the International Council on English Braille, is made up of Braille authorities. And certainly my perception is that most Braille authorities are very good at being an authority, right? So they, they write standards, they make sure the standards are being adhered to, they do a bit of legislative work where they can, you know, in terms of, okay, you know, it's illegal not to have Braille here and here's the standard that supports that. Um, and BLC sort of does this, but doesn't, it does a lot more than just that, doesn't it? It's a lot more about Braille yeah. promotion. It is, it is. So a lot of the time, because of our close connection to the U.S., we uh, tend to adopt similar, you know, the same or similar guidelines. There are times when we have to um, revise or update certain guidelines based on Canadian context. For example, Braille signage guidelines, where we have two official languages in Canada. So that's some that's an example um, situation where we have to take that into account in signage guidelines. But um, it's true that we've we've gone quite beyond the guidelines and we do a lot of work on braille promotions and a lot of initiatives around public education for the general public but also within the braille community for educators and braille readers and most recently uh, quite a bit um, to support adult braille learners as well yeah that's wonderful so actually uh, i i guess i uh, should say um, I do something with an organization called the Braillists Foundation in the UK. And I feel like there's quite yes. a common ground between what BLC are doing and what the Braillists are doing. Oh, absolutely. We love hearing about the Braillist Foundation and all the amazing work you've all um, done over the past, how is it, two years now? <laughs> Yeah, and so similarly within BLC, we actually launched our Braille Zoomers program about two years ago, a little bit over, a little bit earlier than that, perhaps. Um, and this is a monthly peer support group for adult Braille learners. We meet 
once a month on Zoom. We have lots of adult and older adult Braille learners. We also have lifelong Braille readers. And it's just a great opportunity to share resources, tips, advice um, for adult Braille learners to connect, but also to network with lifelong Braille readers. So it's really great and especially valuable in Canada because we're so spread apart. And so it's, it's very easy to kind of go through that whole process without ever meeting um, another Braille user until quite a bit later. Um, so it's, it's been really fantastic. We all learn, even the lifelong Braille readers, and we're especially excited that um, thanks to a lot of financial support, we've also initiated these Braille starter kits where we're sending out Braille learning tools to all the participants as well. Oh, no, that is very cool. Yes. Um, so we did a similar thing when we sent out free slates and styluses to people. Uh, I feel like your starter kits probably go a bit beyond that even. Yeah, we're we're really fortunate because we received quite a bit of financial support um, from different grants, the federal government and private donors. And so we've put together kind of a kit of items that we feel should get you started on your Braille learning journey. We have a slate and stylus. We have um, a great book from National Braille Press with uh, stories in uncontracted Braille that are designed for adult learners. So they're a bit more motivated motivating than what you might see in a, a print braille book for children. Um, and uh, we have uh, braille erasers and we have a Dymo labeler and flashcards. So there's, there's a lot of great stuff in that kit to get people started, um, which is great because not everyone has access to those resources depending on where they live. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and, not everybody has access to the tuition to use those resources either. So it all works out, you know, you send the starter kit and then I guess you have Braille Zoomers and opportunities for people to come together maybe to sort of figure out this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of just keeps evolving. Um, kind of parallel to this, we have our, our Braille or Bounce program where this was an idea actually um, first initiated by a longtime member, Myra Rodriguez, who some of you may know. And um, what we do is we take um, unused brailers that are just kind of dusting away in the corner, we repair them and we rehome them to braille users across the country. Um, and so certainly those are, are, can be quite expensive, a Perkins brailler. So um, we we're really happy that we've now distributed probably between 60 and 70 brailers already. Um, yeah, so it's been it's been really great. And we're, we're looking at starting a mentorship program now where um, braille longtime braille readers and adult braille learners will be able to connect virtually or in person, depending on where they live and just read together as well. Oh, that's fantastic. That's just that, that's wonderful. I mean, I first heard about Braille Bounce at an ICEB meeting now, when was it? 2016, I think there was a paper published about Braille Bounce and, and we got really excited about it in the UK and kind of thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could do a similar thing? And we, the logistics involved in setting that up, you know, in terms of what happens if we don't get the Braillers back and all of that sort of thing. So, I mean, it's really wonderful that you've been able to just go with it. It's great. Thankfully, we have lots of volunteers helping helping us um, with this project, but it's been very successful and, and we're very happy.
So let's turn our attention to ICEB and this meeting that we're, we're all sort of gathered here for. There was a lot of buzz about the General Assembly in 2020, and it really was you know, a really exciting conference. It had papers, it had speakers, it had um, you know, all sorts of things. And actually, business was quite a small part of the agenda, really. Everybody came together and, and you know, really, it was the papers that got people excited about it. I guess this isn't quite the same this time round, right? It's a little bit different um, in that, you know, this is really uh, the midterm meeting for the executive. And so what's what's interesting about this midterm meeting, though, is because we're doing it virtually, we do have the opportunity to open it up to more people in ICEB, you know, in ICB member countries. So um, that allows us, that gives us a bit more flexibility because we have some time for discussion and to invite people to participate in that discussion. And, um, you know, we can have a keynote speaker and uh, some other topics that we sprinkled throughout the agenda. So that is a little bit different than a normal kind of business meeting in that way, because we're all able to connect from wherever we happen to be. Yes. And I, I think that's quite an interesting distinction and something that's probably worth spending a bit of time on. So if we think back to sort of pre-2020, you know, pre-pandemic times, you would have a general assembly every four years. And that would have been the only time when the ICEB executive would have met because the executive is so spread out. You have a representative from each of the ICEB countries. So that's um, the UK, the US, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Republic of Ireland. I feel like I've missed one out. I have missed one out, but I can't uh, can- remember. Canada. Canada. Of course, is Canada, Canada? <laughs> is the host of this uh, this event. Yes, I, I've spoken so much about you already that I just didn't That's think right. I needed to include you in the list. But yeah, like there's all there's seven member countries and, and there were eight at one point. Uh, there was Nigeria as well. Um, you know, bringing all of these people together for face-to-face meetings was just, you know, it, it, it didn't happen. So, you know, the, the executive, I think, used to meet quarterly by quite an expensive sort of teleconferencing system. And so the midterm was the opportunity that the executive had to come together and meet face to face. And it was two years after the general assembly and therefore two years before the next one. And you could kind of take stock and you could see each other in person and you could, um, you know, take care of all the stuff that's just difficult to take place uh, virtually. And then we have the pandemic and zoom and a lot of stuff happened virtually that, you would never think would happen virtually, including the General Assembly and now including the midterm. But it does mean that the character of this meeting is a bit different because to a certain extent, it's just an enlarged version of what the executive is already doing. Whereas previously, it was actually quite a different feel because it was face to face. Absolutely. And so now um, the executive meets once a month virtually um, for our regular uh, meetings. And then the midterm is just a great time, as you said, to kind of reflect where where have we been since the last General Assembly and where where do we go from here until the next General Assembly, which is now two years away. So I've said a bit about the executive. I, I should say you're the newest member of the executive. So perhaps yeah. it's not fair of me to ask you all of these difficult questions. Um, but just... J- just talk us through. So there's there's a representative from each country. Um, some of those representatives have specific 
functions, don't they? So there's the secretary, which is the US's representative. Yes. There is public relationship, public relations, which is New Zealand's representative. And then there are extra people on top of that. Absolutely, yes. So we have our president, Judy Dixon, of course, and we have our vice president, Ilka Stockland. She's actually from Ireland, Republic of Ireland. Our secretary, which is uh, Frances Mary D'Andrea, which many of you will also know. Um, and uh, I, yes, I joined um, in 2021, so I'm one of the more recent uh, members of the executive. We have Jen Golden, who is also our treasurer, but also the, the Canadian representative as well. Um, and we have a number of, of people um, who represent different committees or, or working groups as well. So for example, uh, so we have Christo de Klerk, for example, from South Africa, South Africa representative. Um, we have uh, for our code maintenance officer, we have Kathy Reeson um, from Australia. And so um, this, this is really valuable because she brings so much knowledge <laughs> for the code maintenance committee. And for public relations, which you'll hear more about tomorrow, I believe, if I'm remembering the agenda correctly. Well, CMC, I think might be Tuesday. Tuesday might, yeah. And then public relations, I believe, is tomorrow with Maria Stevens, who's from New Zealand. I'm going to have to look She's, that up, but yeah. yeah. Public relations officer. We have Jordi Howell from Australia. And we have Nisa Tooney uh, from South Africa. We have James Bowden, who many of you, of course, will know from the UK as well. Um, and uh, myself from Canada as well. And we're, you'll hear more from the technical committee as well. Um, we're, we're very happy to have Clive Lansing from New Zealand as well, who's chairing the technical committee. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. And oh, there's yeah. this concept, which I think probably needs to be gotten across, this concept of being deterritorialized. I don't know yes. whether you've had much to do with this deterritorialization uh, concept, but you know, one of the questions that probably comes out of this discussion is, okay, if each country has one representative, how come the US is represented twice? How come Canada is represented twice? How come South Africa is represented twice? And actually, I think there's two answers to that. Um, the president is a deterritorialized position, as is the previous president, the immediate past president, as is the code maintenance officer. And that just means that they, um, not that they don't count, but um, <laughs> how would you describe deterritorialization? That's that's hard. Um, yeah, I mean, even just saying the word is yeah. <laughs> difficult. Um, I mean, so speaking as one of the newer members, I would say probably that one of the reasons why we, we do this is because the president, you know, does have to remain neutral, for example, because you're you're kind of representing the organization as a whole. And code maintenance committee as well, for example, these are issues that kind of touch on um, that affect every member country within ICEB. Hmm. And so I think it's it's partially a way to recognize that as well. Right. So it's actually I, it, I guess it's, yeah, it's saying that you don't represent a country you are in the position that you're in but you don't have to collect a country vote you don't yes. have to 
um, report to a country. You happen to be from a country because you have to be from an ICEB member country, but you don't represent that country. Whereas, say, James Bowden is chair of the ICEB technical committee, but he's not deterritorialized. So he does represent the UK and collects the UK's votes and votes on behalf of. Yes, exactly. And then we have people like you who are not deterritorialized at all. I think if I'm right, you were uh, co-opted because of special skills or something like that, weren't you? I was, yes. So Jen Golden is actually our Canadian representative. Um, and I was invited um, to join the board just after the wonderful 2020 virtual General Assembly um, because um, in part of my background in adult braille learning and adult braille literacy research. And one of the resolutions that we proposed at the last General Assembly, which you'll hear more about later this week when we discuss the resolutions, is all around um, supporting adult braille learning and gathering resources for supporting adult braille learners from different member countries. So this might be different curricula or training resources or textbooks or websites, strategies, um, any resources that we can find from um, um, members uh, to support adult braille learners. What we'd like to do is gather that all into one, one um, place and put that up on the website so that everyone can benefit. And it's also a really valuable way for us to see where there are gaps um, and where we might want, want to target not just um, future practice, but research as well to, to better support adult Braille learners going forward. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's something that's been missing for a long, 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 long time. And it's something that I'm really pleased that the research committee is doing so much work on. And I guess we might hear a bit more about that in your research report later on tonight. Absolutely. That is bound to be one of the topics among lots of other really exciting things happening right now in Braille research. Fantastic. Well, it's five minutes till we get started. Can you believe it? It's uh, 3.55 p.m. Eastern time and um, I suppose we ought to spend the last five minutes introducing the one person who we haven't talked about yet, but who, uh, based on the agenda anyway, is possibly one of the most important people. Um, um, Debbie Gillespie. Perhaps you could just tell uh, us about Debbie. Debbie. Debbie um, is from Canada. She lives in Ontario. And she um, she has been involved in the world of Braille for many years in many different capacities. She is a past president of Braille Literacy Canada, and she's a lifelong Braille reader. She's also been involved um, in different capacities within ICEB as a delegate, for example, from Canada. And she's participated in different committees for um, different guidelines that we've developed over the years. and. Debbie has worked, I believe her title was National Braille Chair uh, of National Braille Promotions at the CNIB here in Canada. And so Debbie is passionate about Braille. And for those of you who know her, she's also very knowledgeable and passionate about Braille technology. And I'm really looking forward to hearing her key keynote today. And, and do you have a sense of what the keynote might be about? Are you allowed to give us some inside information? Uh, you know what? We have, a, it's it's a bit of a surprise, but we we expect that she will talk about Braille technology. This is definitely one area of strong interest for Debbie. 
Um, but we were, were, we have no doubt whatever she talks about will be fascinating. Absolutely. I can't wait to hear it. It's, uh, it's going to be wonderful. I've seen Debbie's contributions to various Braille lists over the years. And yes. I mean, it really is just a fabulous contribution and it's wonderful to have her um, here and, and speaking. Absolutely. So it's that time when I start to get a bit twitchy. I've been put in something called the lobby in Zoom and I've never seen the lobby before, um, but it doesn't look like our technical people are in the lobby. It looks like it's just all the people who are uh, not technical people. Um, so <laughs> I guess that means that the meeting hasn't started yet, but um, it's going to be starting soon. I imagine just looking at, at who's here, we've got uh, 11 people in the lobby at the moment. So hopefully um, a few more will come in before then. Um, you mentioned about delegates and observers, and that's something that's very important for a general assembly. So in a general assembly, each country can send up to four delegates and that is the country's delegation. And then you have observers. You don't have delegates and observers for this meeting in the same way. That's right, because this is primarily an executive meeting. Um, however, we have had many people registered to join in today. Uh, so we actually do have, <laughs> um, I believe our last count was over over 100 people registered. So this will be quite um, quite. Uh, a well-populated meeting over the next few days. But yes, this is different from the General Assembly where we do have delegates, official delegates. Yeah, so so everybody on the executive is effectively a delegate and everybody else is an observer. And, and that's a hard pill to swallow if you do work for your country you know so like um i'm thinking about people who might be the code maintenance committee representative but they're not on the executive and therefore they would still be an observer in this context yeah i think that will you know there are points in in the agenda where we have discussion time as well so for example in the research uh, committee report i will invite discussion from from um people who are present for that um, so there, there are points in the agenda where, where people can contribute, uh, but certainly it is different from the General Assembly in, in that way. Sure. And I think the way we're going to set that up is that executive committee meeting, uh, executive committee members can speak at any time and observers, um, have to wait and there will be a procedure went there for them to, uh, be called upon and, and it will all be exactly. done in a nice uh, orderly manner. Wonderful. Well, it's 2100 hours in the UK. That's 2000 UTC. It's 4 p.m. I'm still in the lobby. Uh, I'm not hearing anything coming back from Zoom. Uh, so <laughs> this is one of these times where we just kind of have to sit here and talk. And at some point we will get started and we'll just have to um, interrupt ourselves. But I don't know. I've got a real sense of, of tension and uh, not tension in a bad way, but just real you know, excitement and anticipation about what a wonderful week this is. I agree. I'm very excited. This is actually my first midterm meeting as a member of the uh, ICB executive. And I think I think it will be great. I mean, BLC, uh, Braille Literacy Canada was first established in 1990. And we're so proud of our membership within ICEB. It's, you know, if you if if you were to ask me what what am I most excited about, I would just say that it's that opportunity for all of us to connect with, um, you know, executive members from the different countries and others who are attending from 
all around the world, really. Um, and we're, we're all connected because of this connection to Braille. And so it's such a great time just to hear what people are doing and what, what's changed, what, you know, what we have to look forward to going forward. Um, and it's a great time to just learn from others and exchange. And we always leave feeling that connection. Yeah, and it's a real motivator, isn't it? It like, is. You know, I, I don't know about you, done. but you kind of feel a bit sort of, I don't want to say lonely, but like, you know, you're working on your own on this Braille thing. And like, you know, there are people who you can talk to, but they don't really get it because Braille's such a niche thing. And then you, you bring all the experts together in one place. And then all of a sudden, you know, wow, this is all just actually, you know, this is all happening. I'm not alone. And, and just sort of rejuvenates yeah. you a little bit. It does. It really does. And I mean, the, the, the other great thing is that we have these meetings, the midterms and the General Assembly to to connect and and exchange. Uh, but now ICB is also quite active on social media. So it's a great way for anyone who is listening, if you'd like to know what we're up to or or, or just stay up to date about um, Braille News from different member countries you can find us on twitter and on facebook um, and learn more from our quarterly quarterly newsletter as well so there's lots of ways to stay connected there are and it's possibly worth talking about those actually so you can find twitter or uh, twitter on iceb yeah you can find iceb on twitter <laughs> it's uh, at iceb braille i braille. think and yes. remind yes. me there's a hashtag for this uh, executive meeting isn't there yes hashtag iceb 2022 yeah that's the one that i've got in my head as well so hopefully a few people yes. will be tweeting i think i heard somewhere on the grapevine that jen or somebody was going to be doing some live tweeting from the iceb account yes, which would be very exciting we, absolutely yes so there's there we post quite regularly to twitter so if you haven't found us yet that would we would love to have you follow us hmm yeah, there's some good stuff and there's some good stuff in the newsletter. And uh, the newsletter, I think, is is edited by Mary Schnackenberg, who we haven't spoken a lot about. Yes. Uh, Mary is from New Zealand and has been yes. part of ICEB, I think, probably since the dawn of ICEB, right? I believe 2004. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And and she became, I think, actually, she was, no, she wasn't president in 2004. She became president in at the end of 2008, at the end of that General Assembly, and so was president in 2008 to 2012, I think. Uh, yes, that's right. And then Pete Osborne took over in 2012, and then Christo. Um, but she's exactly. been on the, on the executive for um, a long time. And it's really wonderful to have Mary, actually, uh, because all of that experience of being you know, part of ICEB for so long and you know things like bylaws which we haven't really talked about oh, yes. it's such a such a complicated issue and a lot of the time quite a boring issue but when you've got somebody like Mary who really knows those bylaws back to front and inside out you know isn't it wonderful that that she can share all that knowledge absolutely and and you know i believe she mentioned this in her report as well but you know the thing with bylaws and constitutions is that you really need to ensure that that language is clear um, and kind of free of ambiguities. And so having, having her expertise and everyone else who participates in that process is really, really valuable. She knows, you know, she knows so much about the history of the organization as well from her time on the board. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, just to fill people in on what's going on, um, it's five past four uh, Eastern time in uh, the US and Canada. That is five past one specific uh, specific time. Five past one Pacific time. Uh, five past nine here in the UK. And ah, right, I was just about to say uh, that we have some delay in starting proceedings, but I think yes, breakout rooms will close in. 19 seconds so i'm going oh, to right. press a button that will hopefully return me to the main session and hopefully this means that the meeting will be getting underway i think we've been slightly delayed oh yes here we go we've got jen and so um i think i'm we've got 39 people at this point which is very good um you know considering it's just a business meeting we've actually done quite well and we're just waiting for everybody else to come in from the lobby i think and then we will get started so i think at this point i'm going to fade zoom up and uh, we will pass over to the first speaker of the day who is going to be jen golden who is the iceb treasurer and the chair of the organizing committee Bienvenue tout le monde de la part de Littérature Braille Canada. Welcome everyone on behalf of Braille Literacy Canada. So in case you were wondering why you were being greeted in French, it's because this meeting was supposed to take place in Montreal, but of course now here we are on Zoom. Oh, my video has been spotlighted, okay. Um, so welcome once again thank you everyone for being here we're excited to have so many people registered i know not everybody who registered is here right now but in total we have uh, 135 people registered besides um to attend as observers so besides um the executive so that's really exciting so we're we're happy that you're all here um there's going to be a lot more thank yous to come but um at this moment i just would like to thank the uh the ICEB planning committee uh, who was, uh, everybody was so helpful. We had help from Ireland who hosted the last midterm. And um, I wanna thank Matthew Horspool who's doing all our live stream and, and podcasting and all kinds of technical stuff. And the Canadian planning committee, of course, as well. Uh, wouldn't have wanted to do all of this by myself. So thank you very much. And I'm gonna introduce myself in detail more later when the exec does that, but just so you all know, anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Jen Golden and I'm um, Canada's representative to uh, ICEB. And I had the pleasure of chairing the, uh, the planning committee. So before we actually get into the fun stuff, I'm just going to really quickly do some protocols and housekeeping and all that kind of good stuff. So um, you'll notice that you're um, muted. We're asking people to remain muted just so that uh, things don't get chaotic in the background. There will be times for there will be times of open discussion, and Judy, um, as the ICEB president, will will let everybody know when you know we when we can have more of that so but for now this is uh just how we're doing this to keep things from getting chaotic quick review of zoom shortcuts which i imagine most people know by now but you know it's just always good to do so mute and unmute if you're on a pc it's alt a and if you're on a mac it's command shift a so the internet tells me um even though i own a mac um, if you are using an iPhone or uh, the Zoom app, bottom uh, uh, bottom left of the screen, and if you're on an, um, a phone, it's star six to mute and unmute. 
So hopefully one of those commands was helpful to you. The raise hand feature, which is how discussions are going to be managed, um, it will be Alt Y on a PC, Option Y on a Mac, and on the on an app, it's there's a more button at the bottom right of the screen, and then you click on you you tap on that, and then one of the options is raise hand. Star nine to raise and lower your hand on the phone. Our moderators are. Um, going to be managing the raised hand. So thank you, Daphne Hitchcock and Anthony Timms. We do have live stream, so which we've been uh, letting people know about. And if there's a day where you need to attend that way, for whatever reason, you may as well. So it's live.brailcast.com. And the podcast, basically, if you go anywhere where you get your podcasts, if you want to listen to the pre or post commentary, um, just look up ICEB. And I believe it's going to be ICEB mid-term. But if you do ICEB, you'll find it. And the Twitter hashtag is ICEB, all caps, 2022. So all of that said, since we couldn't have you all come to Canada, which we would have loved to do, we're bringing a little bit of Canada to you. And we're going to start again, because we were supposed to be in Montreal, we're going to start by a very, very short tour of uh, Quebec City, which is one of my favorite places uh, to visit. So then after that is done, um, Braille Literacy Canada president will come and say a few words and then the meeting will get underway. So we're now ready for Quebec City. Quebec, the capital of the Canadian province of the same name, has more than half a million residents. Being so close to the Arctic, it has long, cold winters and is a famous winter sports destination. But during the warmer months, the city burst into action. Quebec City combines the couleur locale of Europe with the familiarity of North America. Its charming cobblestone streets with Parisian-style flair show a love for haute couture and the fine cuisine. While discovering Quebec's highlights, you'll be zigzagging between the walled upper town and the lower town. So jump on the funicular or take the l'escalier casse the breakneck stairs, which is less scary than it sounds. The Quebecois will always remember their history and are fiercely proud of their French roots, just like it says in their motto. French is the official language, croissants are still on the menu, and statues of French heroes dot the squares. The heritage-listed city centre even has its own mini-version of the Notre Dame. The Basilica stands at the site where it all began, Place Royale. Samuel de Champlain founded Quebec here in 1608, Step into the past and come face to face with some of Quebec's leading artists on your way to the oldest retail district in North America. It's as if these sugar shacks, food stalls and horse-drawn carriages have always been there. Find another fresco just under the breakneck stairs. This one depicts the history of the waterfront neighborhood Cap Blanc. These days, the old port is a great place to explore on a bicycle. Drop in at the popular Musée de la Civilisation, 
and take a journey through the history of Quebec, from the First Nations to the modern culture. Continue your time travels and stroll past the fortifications and cannons on the panoramic Dufferin Terrace. You can't miss Chateau Frontenac, which towers over the broad St. Lawrence River. The river plays a major part in Quebec's story. It brought the first settlers, international trade, and the soldiers who fought over the Canadian territory. The Plains of Abraham in Battlefields Park is where Quebec was captured by the British in 1759, in the lead-up to the end of the French rule in Canada. Nowadays, it's a peaceful city park where you can explore old defense towers, fly a kite, and admire modern art. Pose in front of the Fontaine de Tourny and look up at the Parliament building home to Quebec's National Assembly. Step through the gates of the nearby British fortress La Citadelle to watch the traditional changing of the guard ceremony in summer. Shop in North America's oldest grocery store to stock up on provisions and head out of the old town to experience some of Quebec's family attractions. To the south, the aquarium introduces visitors to the marine mammals that inhabit the ice-cold waters of the Arctic. Kids can line up to get a kiss and they may get an unexpected round of applause. To the north are the Montmorency Falls. Glide past, stand suspended in mid-air, or climb up to the observation platform to witness the spectacle up close. Afterwards, cross the river to Ile d'Orléans to watch the sun set over the mountains. Quebec City transforms at dusk, the perfect time to explore Rue Saint-Paul's delightful sidewalk restaurants and your night on the Champs-Élysées of Québec, the Grand Allée. A Canadian city with a 400-year-old history and the French elegance. Québec is truly unique. A destination to always remember. Je me souviens. Over to you, Natalie. All right. Well, thank you, Jen, and welcome everyone to the ICEB midterm executive meeting on behalf of all of us within the ICEB executive and as well as your hosts, Braille Literacy Canada over the next few days. Um, as Jen mentioned, I'm Natalie Martiniello. I am the president of Braille Literacy Canada, or BLC, and also a member of the ICB executive. Although we can't be together in person, we do hope that we can bring some of the Canadian atmosphere to you um, in different ways. For example, through that video, which was great to listen to. To help set the stage, um, I'm located in Montreal, so this is the largest city in the province of Quebec, 
We have about 2 million people here, about 8 million in Quebec and about 40 million in Canada. So uh, we're happy to welcome you um, with us over the next few days. We do have two official languages, English and French. So bienvenue à tous aujourd'hui. You may be interested to know that because it is the month of June, we do not have any snow on the ground. So it's not looking very Canadian these days. Braille Literacy Canada um, was established in 1990, and we're very proud to be a member of ICEB and to welcome you all here today. Over the next few days, we hope that you will find this to be an exciting set of um, events to learn more about what's happening within the executive, but also in different um, ICEB member countries. I would just like to uh, echo Jen's thanks uh, to everyone who has helped make this event possible. So certainly um, Jen Golden, who has, um, as our Canadian representative, uh, planned a lot of these details behind the scenes. Uh, Judy Dixon, as well as the rest of the executive and the planning committee um, who has been instrumental over the past few months. Matthew Horspool, who's um, managing our podcast over the next few days, as well as our technical support people. So thank you to Daphne Hitchcock and Anthony Tibbs for taking care of that as well. And thank you to all of our guest speakers, and participants and observers for joining us. And we're looking forward to the next few days of um, updates and discussion as well. We look forward to seeing many of you in person in future years. And so with that, I will turn it over to Judy for the rest of the agenda. Welcome everyone. Thank you, Natalie, and thank you, Jen. And we're gonna start off by doing lots of thank yous and we'll probably end up by doing lots of thank yous. But I'm Judy Dixon, president of ICEB. If I sound like I'm in a big echoey empty room, it's because I am. I am currently at the Seeing Eye in Morristown, New Jersey, beginning the final week training with my fourth guide dog. And since that's been consuming my existence for the last couple of weeks, I will tell you, I have a brand new little female German shepherd named Jet, spelled J-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E. It's kind of an unusual name. So thanks to Braille Literacy Canada for all their organization, because I have not been much help to them the last couple of weeks, but I expect to uh, return to normal life very soon. We're gonna have a great conference. We're gonna hear from all of the ICEB committees. The chairs of the committees will be making presentations. We have several exciting speakers on topics that will be of great interest. Um, one of them, especially on Tuesday, is going to make a big difference in how we all think about the history of Braille. We think we know the history of Braille, but this speaker will bring us some information that will definitely challenge what we've all believed to be true. So this will be kind of an interesting session. 
We'll hear from, as I said, the various committees, but there'll be lots of time for discussion. And the executive committee actually has quite a lot of time to talk with one another. The last two years, I have um, kind of bent everybody's arms just a little bit to agree to having monthly meetings instead of quarterly. They haven't objected much. And we've been able to kind of pick up the pace and get some more things done, but we have a great deal of time to talk with one another. So we wanna hear from you observers. So when we have these sessions on discussions, we'll open up the discussion from observers and we do wanna hear from you. So we're looking forward to that. And now I think we will turn it back over to Jen so she can introduce our uh, keynote speaker. Thank you, Jen. Well, and thank you, Judy. I'm, I'm uh, pleased to introduce our keynote address for this, uh, for this midterm executive meeting. It's someone that many of you, um, many of you may know. And uh, she's going to, I don't know a lot about what she's going to talk about, but I know it's going to be Braille related and I know it's going to be great. So without further ado, because she's actually going to do most of the introducing. Um, so I, I will hand things over now to uh, Debbie Gillespie. Thank you, Jen. Um, I'd like to uh, mention that, that I'm so glad to see everybody that I know that is here. And uh, I'm very delighted and honored to be asked to present to you today uh, at the ICEB midterm executive meeting. I attended my first ICEB meeting in 1999. And as I alluded to earlier, uh, many of you on this call were there then too. For those of you I know, uh, great to see you again. And for those of you that I have not met, I hope to do so one day. I've been a Braille reader since the 60s, so that gives you an idea how long I've been uh, using Braille. And at the conclusion of my talk today, I hope to show you that why Braille is so much more than reading and writing. It's about choices. I suggest to you today that Braille is more relevant now than at any time in its history. It's a bridge to technology. It harmonizes many aspects of daily life. It brings people together, where you, whether you know Braille or you don't. It's all in the learning. Depending on the decade that you were introduced to Braille, Mastering it was different. Prior to the 1980s, maybe in some areas, the late 70s, Braille was produced on paper masters only. Whether you produced it using a Braille writer, such as a Perkins, a Slate and Stylus, or other mechanical method, it was the same around the world. Until the 1960s, students learned Braille in residential settings. This had its advantages since it was taught by qualified teachers and students received daily Braille instruction as part of their school curriculum. 
While adults were not always provided Braille instruction, sometimes they were, but others thought, well, you're, you don't need it. You haven't used it yet. Why would you want to now? Many of those things have changed today. As time passed, education went mainstream. And though there was advantages of being educated in your, in your home environment, the quality and frequency of Braille instruction deteriorated. Factors such as lack of funding to hire qualified teachers in Braille instruction and the long distances between centers, major centers contributed to this factor. Another serious gap here is that many people miss the collaboration of learning Braille together. It could have been a lonely process for people not knowing Braille and not knowing anyone around them who did either. By the mid 80s, text-to-speech software became the predominant method of teaching in reading and writing in the classroom due to the fact that PCs and text-to-speech software were readily becoming available. Braille just wasn't cool anymore. By the 90s, <clears throat> educators, consumers, and advocates alike realized that not knowing Braille created a serious disadvantage. Spelling and grammar and punctuation are obvious examples. Research was undertaken to alleviate some of this and to quantify their findings. Many countries participated in this research and many areas joined great, were jointly producing the research, such as BANA and Braille Literacy Canada, then known as BLC. As we move through the decade, copy productions and advances were first to move forward. Early on, thermoform machines, known as vacuum forms, produced copies on, from paper masters. I'm sure many of you who were educated in those days remember doing multiple choice. And some of the letters of the multiple choice responses were either duplicated or non-existent. You got to see it, erasures and all. Some of the best tactile graphics were produced using this method. Early mainframe computers began appearing in production houses and university settings. It is worth noting that CNIB was the first uh, organization to purchase the Duxbury Braille Translation Program and Australia soon followed. This talk would not be complete if I did not mention format. Format equals empowerment. It allows the reader to make decisions about material being presented. We all know that format is essential. Readers, readers rely on format to convey print information and a direct correlation between the inherent relationship to the content 
and the print concepts being used to convey it are obvious. I've been often asked what makes a well-formatted document. I guess it's pretty obvious that I, I really love format. I've always made the simple answer. The more that a reader can deduce from the material from a simple finger scan, the better the formatting has been created. It's important to note that from 1998 to 2010, I represented Canada on the Banner Formats Committee. And during this time, the print publishing industry was catapulted into the 21st century, challenging transcribers and producers everywhere to rethink how to present visual concepts to the reader. Terms such as sidebar, text box, and idea webs became commonplace. And it was imperative that Braille needed to evolve to address the gaps that were created because of the publishing changes and technology available. Thus, UEB was born. ICEB took on a made the made the role of stewardship and of its development. Technology today. Technology again is about choice. From the phone in your pocket to the Braille device in your hands, Braille is a bridge to technology as I alluded to earlier. Navigating the phone, accessing content and working with apps can all be accomplished if you know Braille and use a Braille device. Not sure you wanna use a touch screen? No problem. Your Braille device can fill the bill nicely. Software such as LibBluey, and work on EBRF has really assisted in providing better quality translation that is required. The Marrakesh Treaty has opened up much more content available around the world. And we're beginning to see the results of that. As someone once said to me now, reading is no problem whether you read in print, braille, or whatever language you choose. What do I see coming down the pipe? Dynamic tactile displays are soon on the horizon. And once everyone adopts the EBRF standard, all should be well. Well, I'd like to think so. I'd like to give you some final thoughts. As UEB continues to be developed and grow through ICEB, we need to always remember to be true to its beginnings. What we do will greatly impact the reader as we move forward. It's important to remember 
that not everyone is a Braille geek, and yet everyone wants to read good Braille. I'd like to thank the members of ICEB Executive for asking me to speak to you today. And it has been a true pleasure. This concludes my remarks. Um, back to you, Jen. Well, thank you, Debbie. And um, as someone who was educated in the 70s, I can relate to a lot of the sort of the, the changes over time that have come to Braille. So that was, uh, um, we definitely appreciate having you come and, and, and talk to us. And for anyone who doesn't know, and Debbie, you can, you know, correct me and clarify, you worked for a number of years at CNIB in, in its um, Braille departments under various, I know it, I know the, um, sort of the name and structure of those departments changed. And now you're doing a lot of work with um, wayfinding and signage, which is becoming a really, really important issue in, you know, with the combination of Braille and technology, right? I don't, do, do you want to say a little bit about what you do or would you, <laughs> I just kind of put you on the spot. I apologize before that, I that's finish thanking you. <laughs> that's, there you go. Um, I currently, um, I'm a consultant and I do consult in two fields. One is wayfinding, uh, including signage, and the other is in digital accessibility. Uh, wayfinding and signage, uh, uh, much of what I do is done for the transit agencies uh, as far as that goes. And uh, I've contacted many of you uh, in Canada to ask what your areas are doing regarding signage. In Ontario, we have a, a government organization that kind of takes care of uh, much of the transit in Ottawa and Toronto called Metrolinks. And um, when I require expertise that I don't have, I, I go to some of my Braille geeks and I get it checked. Um, our, our signage in Canada, by the way, is in French and English. And it depends on the organization and agency, how they wish to do that. If it's done by the government, it's necessary that they do place both French and English on the same sign. Um, many cases, uh, we're trying to get them to put all of the English followed by all of the French or vice versa, as long as one language is all together. Uh, this is working a lot better than it originally had. Uh, I've worked on some uh, the new courthouse in Toronto as well. And it's not only signage and wayfinding, it's physical wayfinding. So it's things like tactile pathways, um, exterior lighting, uh, things like that, that we all know and love, but we all need these things to get where we're going. And I always mention as I'm speaking to groups that your journey begins the minute you turn the key in the lock to leave your home. So I hope that gives you a little bit of information. I did work at CNIB from, uh, for 30 years, from 1988 to uh, 2019 and 18, I guess. And uh, I've, I continue to work in the field of Braille and technology. And we're glad you do because your contributions have been invaluable. And so thank you again for taking the time to come and speak to us today. Um, we're, uh, we're always glad to hear from people who've, um, you know, been, been so involved in, in many ways as you have been. So thank you very much, Debbie. Before I hand things back over to Judy, I just want to give you a little, um, we're just going to have a little I was a cultural moment. 
Um, so what we're going to do throughout this, these meetings, again, because we couldn't bring you to Canada, we're kind of going to bring Canada to you as much as we can. What we're going to do, it'll be a little different than uh, from the General Assembly, but what we're going to do is, and I need to give you a tiny bit of background, in, I believe it was 19, the early 1970s, there was you know, some sort of commission, the committee, government committee decisions were made. And the outcome of that was that because we are sort of, you know, we have the U.S. just to the south of us. And so they, you know, with so many more people and such a, a bigger market, there is a sense that sometimes Canadian artists and musicians and, uh, you know, could they're can be not that they are overwhelmed, but there's just so much more content. And so a decision was made that uh, radio stations, TV, um, they had to play a certain amount of Canadian content. And I think it was like 20 or 30%. It was kind of mandated. And it became somewhat affectionately known as CanCon. So we're just going to have some CanCon moments throughout. No, I'm not going to sing, but we're just going to have here and there throughout the meetings, we will have a couple of minutes where I will just share like some, some fun facts, things you may or may not have known about Canada, just a whole variety of things. So that's kind of how we're going to make this a little bit more, a little bit more Canadian. So um, with that, I'm just going to hand it back to Judy. Thank you, Jen. And I lost my, I lost my audio during some of that. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I think I'm back. Um, I think we're scheduled for a five minute break, but we're a little bit early. So Jen, do you have anything else you wanna do before we break? Um, I, I don't, but I, I could, if you wanted me to, I didn't, actually didn't anticipate that we'd have extra time just because we also started a little late so <laughs> but we do um, <laughs> so we do okay um give me one second um uh, let's see if i can i can uh okay all right i will i will shift these things around um Maybe I won't. Okay. All right. So one of the things that I, I was going to do this on another day, but I'm going to do this today because who doesn't like to talk about food? So Canada has, you know, and some of you know this because I've, I've had conversations with you. Canada, you know, everybody, I shouldn't say everybody knows. Let's rephrase that. Most people, I would say, know that maple syrup is kind of a thing for us, right? You think Canada, you think maple syrup. Well, it seems that we produce 80% of the world's maple syrup. And a vast amount of that is actually produced in Quebec and the rest primarily in Ontario. And so we didn't send you all maple syrup because it can't be sent free matter. It's very heavy. And, and I have friends who have sent it to people and you do not want to pack it with your clothes without any you know, surrounding packaging, because sometimes the bottles are known to break and that's really messy. So maple syrup, we also, the uh, Nanaimo bars, if any of you have had those, delicious crust and creamy filling and chocolate, who doesn't like that? Butter tarts, that was a thing that I only recently learned that was, seems to be a Canadian thing. You sort of picture a mini 
pecan pie, I guess you could say that's probably the best way of describing it. We also, again, some of the stuff I just learned when I was getting ready for uh, these meetings, apparently somebody in Calgary, Alberta invented the Caesar and, and not the Caesar salad. Because I told a friend that she said Caesar salad was invented again, like that was Caesar the drink. So that was something. And the Hawaiian pizza apparently was was a Southern Ontario invention. So apart from the pizza and I guess the Caesar, I'm sensing a pattern here. I'm thinking sugar, which is which is great. So those are just some some food things that you may not have known. Um, were uh, that have come from Canada and even sometimes Canadians don't know that so now you know and if you want Nanaimo's and butter tarts get in touch with me after and you know we will figure out a way to to, to send them not sure how well that will work but I'm always open to try all right that was your CanCon moment for today all right thank you very much so let's um, go on with the agenda and then we will take a break at at 4 55 or whatever time it is, 55 after the hour, whatever hour it is, wherever you are. So let's have the introduction of the executive committee members. So we'll start, I will start, I'm, as I told you, Judy Dixon, I'm uh, deterritorialized. I love that. I wonder if that can ever be put in the Oxford English Dictionary as a ICEB invention word, because I've never heard it anywhere else. But I am deterritorialized. But the truth is, I live in the United States. And um, so that's where I'm from. And I work part time for the National Library Service for the Blind and print disabled, and I am also an author. I author books and articles and things like that. So if each executive committee member um, going to Ilka next would tell us uh, where you're from, what country you representative, and just a little bit about what you do there. Okay, Ilka. Thanks, Judy. Hi, my name's Ilka Stadlin. I'm representing Ireland um, at the ICB executive since 2012, actually. And I did two terms, and now is my third term as um, deputy of Judy on ICB. Um, I'm working as a director of education in Child Vision, which is an organization catering for blind visually impaired children who also might have multiple disabilities. And prior to that, I was running the National Braille Production Centre at Child Vision for 17 years. And this is um, how my love of Braille actually brought me to make contact with ICB all those years ago. Thanks, Judy. Thanks, Hilka. FM? Hi, everyone. I'm Frances Mary D'Andrea, also known as FM, and I am uh, the secretary of ICEB. This is actually my second term as secretary. And I um, live here in the United States. I am a um, professor at the University of Pittsburgh and assistant professor of practice. And I prepare folks to become teachers of students who are blind or visually impaired here at the university. Um, I also 
serve on the board of the Braille Authority of North America. I represent the American Foundation for the Blind because I used to work for them a while ago. <laughs> and, um, and also just a big, big fan of Braille and um, teaching children to read and making sure that Braille is available for everyone who, um, who needs it, who wants it, and who can benefit from it. Thank you. Jen. I am Jen Golden and I am the treasurer of ICEB and it's also my second term as well. I represent Canada on the ICEB executive, um, specifically Braille Literacy Canada, which was originally founded as the Canadian Braille Authority in 1990. And um, I, I'm, Sorry, I was trying to decide how much to say. I'll be quick. I, so I work for a company called Crawford Technologies. And I am plenty of time. Uh, it's true. We do, don't, I, don't we? Take it. <laughs> um, so I work for a company called Crawford Technologies, which has presence in, we're Canadian, but we're in the US and also overseas as well. And um, I am a Braille reader, have been since as long as I can remember. And I am also a certified uh, transcriber and proofreader. And I... I too am on the BANA, well, okay, I guess I'm the BANA chair as of January. I was, I'm on the BANA board, and then I thought, oh, I should, I should be more honest. Um, I am the chair of BANA right now because I represent CNIB. So CNIB is actually, at this point, the only Canadian full member of um, BANA, and I represent them. So I, I think I will stop there. Thanks, Jen. Jordy. Uh, Hi everyone, I'm Geordie from Australia. I am, I've been the Australian representative um, to ICEB just this term uh, and I'm also the chair of the Australian Braille Authority. Uh, I have chaired the ICEB Music Committee since 2012 or a little before that when Pete Osborne stepped away. Um, I've been a lifelong user of Braille and have a particular interest in Braille music and I am a music transcriber with Vision Australia. Um, I've done that for about 15 years or so, probably longer, <laughs> nearly 20 maybe. Um, so we work with volunteers who dictate the music to us and uh, work in the Braille, the Duxbury Braille Translator. I'm also a music teacher and a singing teacher. And at the moment I um, work at the Statewide Vision Resource Centre in Victoria where we teach students uh, who are vision impaired and blind to upskill them so they can go back into the mainstream classrooms confident to sort of have skills in braille music and technology and social skills and O&M and all those sorts of things. Um, it's great to see a lot of my uh, fellow Australians here on the, on the meeting today. Great. Javeni? Okay, we can give him a second to sort it out. How about James? Hello, um, I'm James Bowden and I am the rep from the UK. I have been on the ISEB exec since 2016. Uh, memorable meeting in Baltimore. And uh, my first introduction to ICEB was at the midterm meeting in Birmingham. 
in the UK. And I was absolutely fascinated and also really impressed with the work that ICEB had done to date back then. And it's a privilege to be on the exec. Um, I work for the Royal National Institute of Blind People, RNIB, um, as they call it Braille Technical Officer, um, which basically means I'm supposed to know something about Braille and something about technical. And that includes maths, computing, music, maybe some foreign languages, etc, uh, etc. Et I have a background in maths, computer science. I am a Braille reader and I also play music and read Braille music too. Very good. Okay. Uh, Christo? Uh, sorry, Judy, did you call on me? Yes, I did. Good evening, morning, afternoon, world. It's great to be with you. I am Christo de Klerk. I am the immediate past president. I'm from South Africa, where it is midwinter now, and it is pretty cold. I'm not turning on my video because you may not like my pajamas. It is uh, almost 11 in the evening here. Um, as far as my working career is concerned, I am retired and I'm a pensioner, but I work as a volunteer for a national um, NGO of blind persons in South Africa, a Blind SA, of which I am the vice president. I worked as a computer programmer at one of the banks. Uh, I did that for about 23 years or so. Um, I am very much interested in, in technology. I was born blind and I have used, have used Braille since the age of six. Um, and Braille is very important to me and I'm very interested in it. And um, I have done um, table development for Braille translation programs. Um, we have 11 official languages in South Africa, English and then 10 local languages. And I have developed Braille translation tables for Duxbury for our local languages. And then um, for the past two years, I've been working on developing translation tables for several of our local languages for, um, for Leblui. So I uh, wish you all a great uh, conference. Uh, looking forward to hearing much more uh, from you all. Thank you. Thank you, Christo. Okay, Mary. Now, hopefully you, hopefully you can hear me. We can hear you. Oh, right, but I'm not sure you can see me. Just hang on a second. Right. Um, I'm, I'm Mary Schnackenberg. I'm from New Zealand. I have 
apart from a four-year break, I've served on the ICB Executive Committee since 2004. I had a break from 2016 to 2020. I'm a lifelong Braille user. I um, used to work for the Royal New Zealand Foundation of the Blind. And um, during that time, I worked in the library um, and ultimately managed the library and, <coughs> and Braille production. So I was around with my partner, Clive Lansink, when we introduced, when Clive introduced Duxbury Braille Translator to New Zealand and um, uh, the Braille embosses that we had at the time in 1987, um, which made a humongous difference to the amount of Braille we could get out to individuals uh, in, in our country. Um, the, the year prior to that, I, um, with Clive's help, was able to develop the list of Braille users in New Zealand. And um, we, we had this new tax that was introduced in New Zealand called GST, which stands for Goods and Services Tax, that same name is used in Australia. And it's a variation on a the theme of VAT in um, the UK. Uh, and and the interesting thing about goods and services tax was that it was the first multi-copy um, item that we produced in 1986, um, besides magazines that we were doing. We ran off 90 copies of Living with GST. So, and then we started to actually write Braille letters to people with their names and addresses on them. And for the per first time, people were seeing their own names and their own addresses in Braille, in letters from the, um, the agency that, that was our primary and still is our primary service delivery agency in New Zealand. And I recall a phone call from someone um, in 1987 who was in tears. It was the first time the Foundation of the Blind in New Zealand had written to her personally with her name and her address. So um, I've been privileged to see the difference that Braille makes in our everyday lives. Um, and sadly, this Thursday, I, I need to, um, to support some people who at a funeral of someone who is deafblind. And this person talked to me about how before she got her cochlear implant, she really couldn't hear anything or anyone for quite some time. And so she read my newsletters um, from the Auckland branch of Blind Citizens New Zealand, which is a volunteer consumer group, and I am their secretary. And she would read my newsletters and she said, you know, I'd get your newsletter and I'd read it five times over. And I would think, Oh my goodness. I think sometimes we don't actually realize the difference we ourselves make in the lives of other people. And this is one of the privileges of supporting ICEB and, and being able to support and work with some amazing people who know way more about Braille and the code than ever I will. But it's still a privilege to work with people who um, are just 
so passionate about actually being able to read and write and be literate and and stay in charge of our lives. Um, there are so many pressures on us these days. One of the things we absolutely have to try and be is as resilient as we can be so that we can take good care of ourselves into whatever the future uh, looks like. So, so serving on the ICB, ICEB executive committee keeps reminding me about resilience and, and also about the good work that we do do and the good work that's still left to do. So thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, Mary and Natalie. Hello, everyone. Well, as mentioned earlier, I'm the president of Braille Literacy Canada, and I joined the ICEB executive in 2021, so a little, a little bit after the last General Assembly um, in October 2020. Um, I am a lifelong Braille reader. Um, I clearly love Braille, like all of us here. I love to read, and so Braille literacy, reading and writing kind of touches on every aspect of my life. I started working uh, with children at a school for the blind, and then I became a vision rehabilitation therapist. Um, some of you may know that more as a rehabilitation worker, depending on where you're located. Um, and so I started teaching Braille to mostly adults and older adults. And that's when I quickly realized that we don't have as many resources or strategies to support older learners of Braille who are very different from children in different ways. And I became really passionate about addressing those gaps or helping to address those gaps. So that's what I focused on um, throughout the PhD, which I completed now about two years ago as well. Um, and since then, I've been working as a researcher at the University of Montreal, uh, where we actually have um, right now the only master's program to train rehabilitation specialists who work with blind adults, blind and low vision adults. And I also am a course instructor in that program. Um, so I, um, within ICEB, I focus a lot on research and adult braille literacy. I'm the chair of the ICEB research committee. I'm looking forward to having a great conversation with all of you about that later on. And it's just a privilege to be here and welcome to everyone again. Thank you, Natalie. Although not a technically a member of the executive committee, I'm going to ask Clive Lansink, our new chair of the UEB Tech Committee, to introduce himself at this time. Clive? You were here. Yes. Just hang on a second. Sorry, Clive. He didn't know about this. He's coming. He's not trying to unmute. Uh, 
the host the host isn't allowing Clive to unmute. Ah, okay. Um, Chiveni can let's see if Chiveni is um, available, and then we'll go to Clive. And if the host can sort Clive out, that would be helpful. Yes, I'm available. Can you hear me? Ah, very good. Yes, we can hear you. Thank you. Uh, it's the same thing that happened to me, <clears throat> but Clive needs to solve now. Okay, uh, my name is Nchavena Shtunab, the representative of South Africa, a member at large in ICB. I started working uh, in this committee in 2016, sorry, 2014, if I recall well, when I was nominated, when I was co-opted, uh, after Christo was uh, elevated from being the uh, deputy president of ICB to president after the departure of Peter Osborne. And I have chaired the committee on bylaws and constitutions for four for, for the past four years and now chaired by Mary. And I am working at the University of South Africa at the Disability Unit. And I've been a proofreader from 2004 and I am certified as a transcriber as well. So I'm quite involved in Braille and Braille-related matters. Uh, the South African Authority, known as the South African Braille Authority, uh, which uh, gives me the mandate to be here. Uh, I'm still the member of that uh, authority as we speak, even though I'm no longer the president. I've been the president for the uh, six years until 2021, when I was... Uh, uh, constitutionally had to vacate the position and uh, the new president had to be elected. That's me. Thank you. Thank you very much. Clive, did we sort Clive out? I think okay. so. No, I hear Mary. Clive, Clive is still not able to unmute. There seems we, to be some, oh, you got it? We, we, we don't have oh. any security settings that would prevent people from unmuting. Um, the only thing, maybe try reconnecting to the meeting because ever, nobody else seems to be having that issue. Well, I'll tell Madam, you what. Well, Madam, well, Madam Chair, may I, may I suggest, um, Clive, because the meeting is being recorded, there will be another the window. It. The got it the got button it is button. in a different window. Yes, so yeah. that could possibly be it. Because you can't unmute until you press O. Oh, press OK on the got it button. He's going to have a look at that, look for it now. Okay. Meanwhile, let me um, say that this the agenda says introduction of the executive committee and observers. We have a fair number of observers and we'd love to hear from all of you. But I, what, I, what I would like to especially do at this time is to hear from those of you who have served on the executive committee in the past. So um, if you would raise your hand, um, our host can recognize you. And um, I know Phyllis and Darlene and, and others are here. So we'd like for you to introduce you, yourselves, if you could, please. Excuse me, Judy, it's Maria yes. here. You forgot. Oh, me. Maria. Oh, heavens. I'm so sorry. I knew I'd forget somebody. I did, okay. this from, I did this from memory. That's what I get. Thank you, Maria. I'm so sorry. Maria, please oh, introduce good. yourself. That's all good. Um, so I'm Maria Stevens uh, from New Zealand. I've worked in, in and around Braille production for over 30 years. 
I chair the Braille Authority of New Zealand Aotearoa Trust. And I, for my sins, I manage the accessible format services at Blind Light Vision NZ. And it's great to be here, hear lots and lots of voices I know. Thank you. You sound great. Thank you. I think I'm here, Judy. Ah, oh, you are here, Clive. Thank you. You sound great. Um, well, I'll try and introduce myself briefly because I haven't been, um, obviously, I've been a bit distracted trying to get my thing to unmute. But um, yeah, so I'm the, the new chair of the, of the Braille Technical uh, Materials uh, Committee and um, looking forward to our discussion on Thursday. My background is as a, um, I guess, a software developer for a, a long time and um, uh, but, but and I um, so I've been a, a Braille reader all my life and uh, had a lot to do with the development of UEB in those days. I remember being on at least one working committee, um, making lots of decisions by email, uh, chaired by Joe Sullivan a number of many years ago now, quite a number of years ago. And I've always been um, a fan of the concept of UEB, the bi-directional. Um, code that uh, can accurately represent print. I'll just I'm just turning on my video. I'm only wearing a t-shirt, so I'm not probably properly dressed. But I just thought I'd turn that on, and hopefully that's uh, visible. Um, so I've been a fan of the the concept of UEB um, and the way that it can represent uh, the 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 complexities of print as as print becomes more. Um, relevant, I guess, in, in the lives of blind people. So there might have been a time when we, we could have ignored a lot of um, what was going on in the print world. But nowadays, if you're going to function in, in the sighted world, you'd, you'd better understand something of um, how um, information is actually presented visually. And um, Braille can help with that. Um, uh, considerably, and now with with UEB, I think we we've sort of solved that problem in principle. But obviously, there's still a lot of work to get done to actually make it a reality. And uh, so that's what has motivated me. I'm now kind of semi-retired, got a bit of a bit of spare time, so it's kind of motivated me to to take an interest in just seeing what I can do to push that along a bit. So yeah, looking forward to that. Thank you, Clive. We have one more executive committee member, uh, Kathy Reeson, but I don't believe she's here. Kathy, unless you're hiding under another name, I don't think you're here. So if you are, please speak. No, I don't think so. Okay, um, any former executive committee members who would like to introduce themselves? Uh, Phyllis Landon. Phyllis, please. Hi, uh, just start my video. Uh, I am currently the past uh, chair of the UEB Code Committee, Code Maintenance Committee. I started out uh, my education as a librarian back in the 60s. And in the 70s, I started uh, transcribing for CNIB, quickly got involved with committee work uh, with BANA and have been involved with UEB almost from its beginning. 
and became chair of the code maintenance committee when it was formed uh, until uh, recently, so. All right, thank you. Anyone else? Uh, Julie Sutherland. Julie? Oh. oh, hello, I'm Julie. Um, I'm a first time attender here at this meeting as an observer, but have followed your progress on various email lists and I'm a lifelong Braille user. All right, thank you very much. Anyone else? We have no other hands. All right. If any observers, even if you have not been on the executive committee, if you would like to introduce yourselves, please do so. Please raise your hand and. Scott Erickson. Okay, Scott. Oh, you're muted still. Hopefully you can hear me now. Ken. Awesome, awesome. How are you going? Uh, I'm Scott. I'm from Australia. You can probably tell from my accent. Um, I'm actually on the Australian um, the Braille Authority Executive, which is uh, which is really um, really exciting. So I work with Jordi and, and several others. And um, yeah, I, I actually attended the 2020 uh, ICEB as an observer, and uh, it's great to be back and hear all the uh, exciting advancements. I've been a Braille user you know, all my life, I'm a musician, uh, and I'm also a huge um, Braille advocate, and, and I've worked in the technology field for a long time, and now I'm working for the Australian federal government, so it's uh, all exciting, and um, still obviously use Braille every day for every aspect of my work, so it's very exciting. Very good. All uh, Christine Simpson. Christine, yes, hello, welcome. Go. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm Christine Simpson from Australia. I've been a Braille user all my life. Um, I chaired the Australian Braille Authority for six years. I edited the rule book along with Phyllis and some other very dedicated people. Um, my thinking, I was listening to what Clive said just a moment ago about the importance of Braille. And to me, not only is the code important, but very important, and I think not enough emphasis is put on it, is the actual layout of the Braille. And I think it was Debbie who spoke earlier about the importance of being able to look at a Braille page and get an idea without reading the text of what's on that page. And I, I um, am a firm believer that Braille, as the way it's laid out, is important to us. We run our own business here in Australia, my husband and I, um, as Braille, we're commercial Braille producers. And the layout of the Braille is always the first thing we look at with the document and how we're going to do this so that's appealing to the user just the same as um, it would be if it was a printed document. Thank you. 
Very good. Anyone else? Don Winnecke. Don. Hello, this is Don Winnecke from the state of Idaho in the United States. I am going to be working with Clive on the UEB Technical Committee. Very happy to be listening in. Thanks for giving me the chance to introduce myself. Thank you. Jana Hertz. Jana. Yes. Hello, unmute myself. My name is Jana Hertz. I am just sitting in to observe. I'm the current president of the National Braille Association, and I am a school transcriber, and I own my own business. And it's good to see you, Judy. Good to see you, Jana. Thank you. Aquinas. Hello, everybody. My name is Aquinas Prather. I'm from Ottawa, Canada, and I'm just an observer. So thanks for letting me introduce myself. Aquinas has been very involved in the tactile graphics committee of BANA, and he's contributed a great deal. He's a very, very shy man. And we have no other hand. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And I'm sorry, really... I take that back. There's a last uh, Niels math here. Yes. Just want to unmute. Uh, good evening. I'm Niels Matheiser. Um, I'm on the current Saba Executive Committee as treasurer, and I'm the South African representative on. Uh, Jordi's uh, music committee for music braille. My capacity, I'm a braille music teacher at Prince of School for the Visually Impaired in Pretoria, South Africa. Thank you very much, Niels. And Hanif Kruger. Hanif? Hi, everybody. This is Hanif Kruger. I'm um, currently serving on, uh, also on Saba. I'm from South Africa, Pretoria, and I'm also um, just uh, an observer. Thank you. Thank you. Remember, observers are future executive committee members. So I see you. no other hands now. Okay. Thanks very much, everyone. And I think what we'll do is let's go ahead with a few other small items. Then we'll take a break and then we'll finish up the agenda. And we, you know, we don't have to go a full three hours every day. It's not a requirement. And so if we finish a little early with today's agenda, uh, so much the better. And if um, people have some comments, that's fine too. So we will, right now, I need to hear a motion from an executive committee member for adopting the agenda as distributed. Also move. It's Jen. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. A second? A second. Okay. okay. The vote, when I call for votes, please remember it's only the executive committee members who vote. So all in favor of approving the, the agenda as distributed, please say aye. 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 Anyone opposed? Aye. Oh, thank you. Oh, Kathy, hello. Yes. Yeah. Kathy's here. 
<laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you. Um, we'll get back to you, Kathy, in just a moment. Um, okay. Anyone opposed to the agenda or no? <laughs> That's fine. Thank you. Um, the eyes have it. The agenda is approved as distributed. <laughs> Kathy, we've been introducing ourselves. And if you could uh, introduce yourself, please, just what your role is on the executive and what you actually do. Thank you. Uh, good morning. I'm Kathy Reeson from South Australia. Um, my, my apologies for being late. My alarm didn't go off. Um, so um, I slept in. Um, I am the code maintenance officer, which means that uh, whilst I'm from South Australia, I am I represent the ICEB North Australia as code maintenance officer. I what's called deterritorialized. I am now retired from my paid work, but for uh, over 30 years, I was a uh, Braille transcriber with the South Australian School for Vision Impaired. So I think that's a Very quick good. summary. Welcome. Thank you. And one more person has just joined us who I would like to ask to introduce herself, and that's Leona Holloway. Good morning. Hi, everyone. Um, so I'm from Australia and just an observer. Thank you. Leona is, was an extraordinary member of the executive committee in the past term, helping us hugely with our social media presence. Thank you, Leona. Okay, um, we're going to skip the adoption of the minutes item, um, and we're going to do that tomorrow. So, Secretary, please remind me tomorrow to do that. Thank you. And we're moving on to Jen, uh, Treasurer's report, please. All right, I was just checking to make to see if I was uh, on mute, and I'm you, not. So that's good. You. Perfect. Okay, <clears throat> uh, so here we go. So um, this report provides a summary basically from the 7th General Assembly in October of 2020 up until May 26, 2022, which was when I sent it out. So I kind of updated as much as I could up to that point. And unless otherwise specified, all amounts are actually in US dollars. That is a long and fun story about international finances. But basically, I had decided when I became treasurer, I set up our account in US funds because ICEB membership is sort of set in US funds. And in Canada, it's it's relatively easy to do. So I thought this would make sense. And I'm going to say about 80% of the time, it actually does make sense. The, 85% of the time, maybe even 90, but there are a couple of things where it wasn't, um, it didn't always work out perfectly, but nonetheless, that's how it is. So that's mostly what you're going to see is uh, US dollars. So just quickly, um, you know, our, there'll be a lot more detail in terms of year end reports and general assembly reports. So for this, I've just highlighted a few uh, things for the midterm report. So year end balances, um, 20. 20, the balance in our sort of general operating operations account, it, it was $17,636.25. $17, and the, uh, the GIC, and for those who may not be aware, we put some of our money into a guaranteed income certificate. Basically, it renews, or it 
you put it in for either a year or a year and a half, two years, depending. And then, um, you know, it gets renewed. So we had, I had put some of the money, some of our funds into that. Started out with 10,000. Initially, when I did this, uh, we're, our interest rates haven't been great. So $10,411.20. And at the end of 2021, our balance uh, in our operations account was $10,859.91. And the reason for the decrease, as you'll see when you look at the, the GIC column, it's because uh, we decided as an executive to put $10,000 of that into the GIC. So we doubled it. So, and December 31st, 2021, it was $20,465.98. Okay, so the balances as of May 26, our general operations account, again, US dollars, $15,731.89. Um, you'll see a Canadian account here. We, um, I'll come back to later actually why we why we ended up setting up a Canadian account but basically there's we do have a credit card and there were times where we needed to process Canadian funds so we had to have a Canadian account it's currently at $585.05 or at least it was on May 26th the GIC $20,481.46 so um Moving on, very, um, we, um, oh, I, sorry, I turned my page too soon. Okay. Um, we, so, I, sorry, I think I've turned a page. Anyway, I'll, I'll figure this out. But basically, in terms of um, expenses to date, we, um, we've hired Matthew Horsepool to do all of this wonderful technical stuff that he's doing for us. We also uh, paid for some web hosting services and um, yeah, we made the, uh, for hosting and domain name registration, sorry, at a total cost of $134.95. That was in 2021, actually, I'm not sure. Um, I seem to have lost my, seem to have lost some of my notes, but um Okay, I mentioned that we hired Matthew. Um, we, oh, one of the reasons that we have the Canadian account is that we, so we purchased a, a Duxbury license for the code maintenance officer. Again, that was in 2021, but because I had to pay off the, we put it on the credit card, I had to pay it off. I had to transfer money to Canadian funds. So that was one reason. And then because in 2020, we were reimbursed for the president's travel because we didn't actually meet in the UK. Um, there was a bit of a miscommunication with the travel agent and the funds were returned in RAND uh, because Christo was in South Africa. And so because it was returned in RAND, the bank here had to convert it to Canadian before US, which is unfortunate, but that's kind of what happened. So thus we had a Canadian account. Um, let's see, we, I talked about, oh, uh, this is something I really want to highlight. Uh, Michael Lavin, the treasurer of the Irish National Braille and Alternate Formats uh, in Bath, he reviewed the ICEB financial statements for 2020 and 2021. So before I put this report together, uh, that's we have a process where somebody who's not me and who's not on the executive and who has uh, a comfort level with these sorts of things reviews the statements to make sure I haven't missed anything. His comments and questions were extremely helpful because Sometimes you just look at the numbers too long and it's great to have somebody who looks at them who doesn't know all the details and says, um, 
this doesn't make sense. Can you explain why this number is like this? So his diligence really is very much appreciated. He provided um, uh, in writing to me kind of verification that he was he was happy with everything. Everything was uh, all in order. So I'm very thankful uh, for his help. So that is basically um, the report that I have. I guess I just does anybody um, does anyone have any questions? I'll start you know with the exec. Do you guys have any questions about any of this? I'm not hearing anything. Um, you want to move to adopt? Yes, please. I will. I will move that we uh, adopt the treasurer's report of the midterm 2022 executive meeting as circulated. Very good. A second. Happy to second. Thank you, Jordan. Jordan. Yeah. Thanks. All in favor? Aye. 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 I know we all have to I'm like, wait a minute. We <laughs> unmute to uh, to yeah. aye. Opposed? Very good. It passes unanimously. Thanks very much, Jen. Um, I think what we'll do is take our five minute break now and we will resume at um, actually let's take a nine minute break. We'll resume at 535 with um, in memoriam. Okay, thank you. Nine minute break. You are listening to live coverage of the International Council on English Braille's Midterm Executive Committee meeting for 2022. As I uh, frantically look for the fader to turn zoom down, there we go. That's that fader uh, turned down, at least for now. My name is Matthew Horsepool. It is 10.26pm in the UK, uh, which equates to uh, 4.26. Uh, no, it doesn't. It equates to 5.26pm that's right, in um, Canada. So, yes, uh, we went from underrunning at one point to quite significantly overrunning, or at least that's how it feels. But let's just take a quick rain check on that. Uh, because we deferred the uh, approval of the minutes uh, from the previous uh, meeting, so we've, we've deferred that to tomorrow, we've done 85 minutes worth of business, which means that actually uh, we are bang on time. We should have finished that item at uh, 9 uh 25 uh so 10 25 which which is fine uh plus the fact that we started 10 minutes late uh so five minutes late and there should have been a break uh which is where we get 9 uh 10 35 from i will get my numbers right eventually i do apologize so we're actually when we start back at 10 35 we are actually going to be bang on time and uh, isn't that wonderful chairmanship of a meeting and um, i want to just um touch on a few things in this break. But first of all, uh, just to say a particular hello to Mr. Hanif Kruger, who is an observer to this meeting. Um, I'm not going to be uh, saying hello to everybody, but I do want to put a particular mention out to Hanif because Hanif was my predecessor in this slot. Uh, Hanif has previously done live streams of ICEB General Assemblies, uh, most notably, of course, because he's from South Africa. And most notably, he did the live stream of the South Africa General Assembly in uh, 2022. So I'm just checking on uh, what's going on on Zoom. It doesn't look like anything's going on, which is good uh, because nothing is supposed to be going on at this point because we're in the middle of a break. Um, I just want to run down the executive that we've been introduced to uh, because most people 
uh, we were introduced to well enough, but we didn't necessarily get all the ins and outs of who they are. So we have Judy Dixon, who is the uh, ICEB president, um, <clears throat> who is deterritorialized, but from the US. We have Ilka Steglin, who is the ICEB vice president, uh, and she is from Ireland. Um, we have Francis Mary D'Andrea from the US, and she, in fact, represents the US. Um, and Ilka represents Ireland. Um, and Judy does not represent the US. Judy represents ICEB. Jen Golden, the treasurer <coughs> from Canada, and she is the same Jen that is from the organizing committee. Geordie Howell, uh, a member at large. Member at large is what Geordie is from Australia. So this means that she represents Australia on the executive, but doesn't have a role uh, specifically on the executive. So she's just there to represent Australia. Although, as we heard, she does have roles within ICEB. She's the uh, chair of the Braille Music Committee and does a wonderful job of that. And we'll hear more from Geordie uh, as the meeting goes on. Jafeni Nechachuni, I think I've pronounced his name relatively accurately, uh, is a member at large uh, from South Africa. James Bowden, a member at large from the UK. Christo de Klerk is also from South Africa. Christo is um, deterritorialized because he is the immediate past president. So that is another one of those deterritorialized positions. So that's why we have two people from South Africa on the executive. Mary Schnackenberg from New Zealand. Uh, she is not even um, a deterritorialized person. Um, I talked about people being co-opted to the executive for their specific skills. Uh, when I was talking to Natalie earlier on, Mary is another one of those. So Mary was co-opted uh, to the executive for, for special skills and now chairs the bylaws committee. And that means that Maria Stevens, who is also from New Zealand, Maria is the public relations uh, officer. And so uh, Maria Stevens actually represents New Zealand and Mary, although she's from New Zealand, doesn't represent New Zealand on the executive um, we have Natalie Martiniello uh, from Canada, who, again, because Jen represents Canada, uh, Natalie was co-opted. Uh, so she's just, um, well, I say just, I mean, she's doing a very uh, valuable job there on the executive, but uh, co-opted for specific skills. And Kathy Reeson, uh, the Code Maintenance Officer, formerly the chair of the Code Maintenance Committee. And uh, Kathy from Australia, Geordie from Australia. So Geordie is the member at large and Geordie is the uh, representative for Australia. Kathy, as she said, is deterritorialized. We didn't talk about the breakdown of blind people to sighted people uh, on the executive. And I don't necessarily think it's healthy to do that, but um, it, it's kind of an interesting fact, isn't it? And uh, I'm not going to out the sighted people, but uh, there are, I think when I totted this up, there are only three sighted people on the executive uh, to, compared to nine blind people. So it is definitely the case that Braille at this level is being adjudicated on by the people who use Braille. It's not sighted people who are coming along and telling us uh, what our Braille should be like. This is actual real live blind people uh, working out what Braille should be like. So it's at 10.31pm in the UK. You are listening to live coverage of the midterm executive committee meeting of the International Council on English Braille for 2022. My name is Matthew Horsepool. Earlier on, we were joined by Natalie Martiniello, who has had to rush off and do things on Zoom because she's also uh, a part of the executive. She'll be back with us later on to do some closing uh, commentary. But in the meantime, I just wanted to focus in on what time people are getting up in order to come to this meeting. It really is really quite crazy. 
Um, I'm looking at the agenda in front of me. Um, <clears throat> and in Australia, for example, um, I've got a start time here listed as 5.30 a.m. 5.30 a.m. to 8.30 a.m. And that's in Australian uh, Central Standard Time. Uh, and that's plus one day. So actually, it's Monday morning in Australia at half past five in the morning. So, you know, you can understand why people are perhaps sounding a little bit tired. Uh, you know, they've had to get up at a silly time to come to this meeting. And it's just it's a testament to the 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 passion that people have for Braille, that they will come uh, to a meeting at this time. Some people who are in um, Australian Eastern Standard Time, um, as opposed to Australian Central Standard Time, they get a slightly later start. They're at 6 a.m., 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. So, you know, people from Australia are getting up in the morning, doing the ICEB meeting, and then going to work and doing a whole day at work and then coming home and you know, probably crashing and then starting the whole thing over again the next day. It really is very impressive. Similarly, in New Zealand... Um, Slightly better off in New Zealand, 8 a.m. till 11 a.m. daily, and that's New Zealand Standard Time. Canada, oh, they've got it light, 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern uh, Daylight Time. Um, the U.S., 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Um, Ireland, 9 p.m. to midnight uh, or 12 a.m. Irish Standard Time. The UK, the same as Ireland, 9pm to 12am, 9pm till midnight, British summertime. And South Africa, uh, they have it uh, as bad as Australia, but in the opposite direction, uh, South Africa, 10pm until 1am in South African standard time. So it really is amazing that the lengths that people are going to come to this. And I just wanted to make that point in case you sort of sit here and wonder, you know, why on earth are people sounding... Um, so worn out and so frazzled and uh, you know it really is just to do with the time at which they're having to get up to do this it is 10 34 p.m you're listening to live coverage of the uh, 2022 midterm executive committee meeting of the international council on english braille 10 34 p.m in the uk that's 5 34 p.m in canada um we are now coming back so i will fade judy back up um well actually we will fade judy back up but she's just been announcing that we're getting started so judy just so you know darlene bogart does have a raised hand i don't know if that was ah. intentional or not but well i i hope she's raising her hand to introduce herself thank you very much darlene would you like Thanks. to introduce yourself thank you very much judy i'm uh shall i i don't know whether i can put myself on video okay um, I'm sorry that I wasn't able to do this earlier. I had a, a phone call that I had to take, unfortunately, but I really wanted the opportunity to wish all of you well and um, welcome to Canada as well. And I'm very sorry that this isn't a real meeting face to face because I was so looking forward Me to seeing so many people that, um, that I haven't seen for some time. Uh, yes, uh, and I was uh, one of the original members of ICEB. Uh, my heart is still there with ICEV and all the wonderful things that you are doing. So I'm delighted to be able to be observing today and good luck, good meetings. Thank you. Thank you so much, Darlene. And we think of you often and wish you were with us all the time. So we, sorry, we're not in Canada. I think croissants. 
Mm. <laughs> it's all about food. <laughs> I, I do have another food can con thing and yep, croissant. Because <laughs> there's just so much food. Well, I mean, good. That's why we like Canada so much. <laughs> and what's the problem with that? Absolutely. Okay, so um, we are now going to move into In Memoriam. This is a tradition that ICEB has done for some time to recognize those um, who have left us in the last, in this case, it'll be the last two years. Uh, So I'll recognize each country's representative and um, please briefly tell us uh, about anyone that you wish who uh, is no longer with us since October of 2020. Okay, Australia. Hi, Judy. We don't have anyone to uh, bring to the attention of ICEB at this time. So that's a a wonderful thing. thing. Yes, it is. Yes. (laughs) All right, Canada. Yes, actually, the same is true for Canada. We thankfully don't have any names to bring forward. Oh, this is terrific. Ireland. Do we have Ilka? Well, we can come back to Ireland. New Zealand. Sorry, Judy, no, we don't have anything from New Zealand either. Good. All right. We're going to get to dinner earlier than we thought. All right. South Africa. We don't have anyone to register, Chair. Thank you very much. Thank you. United Kingdom. We do have someone. Sorry to buck the trend. We do have someone, and that is the late Bill Poole who was incredibly instrumental in all kinds of areas in RNIB and Braille, served for many, many, many years on the Braille Authority for the United Kingdom and the UK Association for Accessible Formats, which uh, came out of Bork. Um, He also worked for the RNIB and was, everybody knows, well, everybody knows who knew Bill of his amazing ability on a hand frame or slate and stylus. (laughs) and uh, his love of the classics. And he would always say something like, no, that one's Roman, no, that one's Greek or, or whatever it was. So we wish to remember Bill Poole. Thank you, James. United States. <clears throat> Hello, this is Francis Mary. And we would like to remember um, Christina Davidson, Tina Davidson, who is a transcriber who served on Banna's music committee for many years and uh, she she passed away this this past December of 2021. Thanks FM. Ireland? Yeah my apologies Judy we don't have anybody to remember. Thanks. All right well that uh, all right thanks so much that we've just gone through another hour. Okay, so um, we're going to move. We, we are significantly ahead of schedule, which is fine. We don't worry about that. I am no problem. We'll end a little bit early if we need to. So we're moving on to 
Mary, Constitution and Bylaws. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Um, Mary Schnackenberg from New Zealand. Uh, Judy, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes. Okay. So um, I have nothing to show, but quite a lot to tell. <laughs> the Bylaws Committee is a permanent committee of ICEB, which is responsible for reviewing and updating the ICEB constitution and ICEB bylaws for the administration of ICEB. Its work is guided by charges, tasks in brackets, and I'll come back to that later, from the executive committee, approved motions of the General Assembly and accepted resolutions of the General Assembly. The committee consists of a chair and a small number of members appointed directly by the executive committee. Members of the bylaws committee for the 2020-2024 term are Mary Schnackenberg, the chair from New Zealand, Paul Brown, also from New Zealand, Christo de Klerk from South Africa, Judy Dixon, our president, uh, and she's on all the committees ex officio, Jen Golden from Canada, Inchivini Inchituni from South Africa, and Ilka Staglin from Ireland. When the current executive committee assumed office at the close of the General Assembly in October 2020, our first task was to finalise the Constitution. Article 9C of the Constitution says that a proposed amendment to be considered at a meeting of the General Assembly must be distributed to full members no less than 60, 60 days prior to the scheduled opening date of the meeting. This 60-day period had been overlooked. We reviewed the proposed amendments to the Constitution and took the opportunity to make a, a few friendly amendments to the wording. The same delegates who attended the online General Assembly were asked to vote on the revision to the Constitution. The revision was approved and the updated Constitution as at the 30th of November 2020 is now on the ICEB website. The Constitution can be updated only at General Assemblies, which take place every four years. In 2012, the Constitution was amended to give the Executive Committee the power to write and amend bylaws. The first set of bylaws were drawn up by Darlene Bogart. The Constitution and Bylaws Committee can recommend changes to the bylaws, giving at least 30 days notice of amendments to the Executive Committee, who must approve any bylaws changes. Some amendments were made to the bylaws in 2016 and again in 2020. It's now time for a thorough review of the bylaws. The bylaws are silent. That is, they say nothing about a number of matters. For example, the
the process of recruitment of members and appointment to committees is not clearly specified. As we work through the bylaws, we may need to update the constitution. At a minimum, we need a consistent numbering style within the articles of the constitution. It should be possible to align the bylaws with the articles in the constitution to make for easier and faster cross-referencing. We need to take our member Braille authorities along with us and prepare them for any potential constitutional changes, receiving feedback and taking it into account as we go. Recommendations for any amendments to the constitution must first be approved by the bylaws committee and then the executive committee. Any recommendations for amendments to the constitution must be distributed to full members, not less than 60 days prior to the scheduled opening date of the meeting. That's article 9C again. Some committees have had their own terms of reference. For more ease of reference, it would be better to have just two documents, the constitution, and the bylaws. From time to time, someone writes to us seeking permission to translate the UEB rule book into their country's language. Now we've talked about this in executive committee meetings at least two or three times, which is a good thing, but we need to build our decisions about these important matters into the bylaws so we can quickly discover what we did the last time we were asked. There are bound to be other issues that we should talk about in the bylaws. Another example is the timeframes under which we need to get everything ready for the next meeting. And of course, the world's changed a lot since we originally set those timeframes. We zoom along, we do all sorts of things, but it still takes us ages to book international travel from whichever country you may be traveling from. And even if a meeting is being held locally, you may have commitments um, on a day that, um, that might be suggested. So whatever changes we make to timeframes have to be common sense changes that will fit the lives of um, our member countries uh, from all around the world. So perhaps the most challenging aspect of this work is the English language itself. In our seven member countries, there are different flavors of English, never mind different spellings of the same words with the same meanings. And um, the, one of the words that I've had to keep my head around is this word charge, which I think is a task, but um, I think I, even I could live with charges. Um, we also need to respect the fact that English is pretty much a second language for most people living in South Africa. So we're seeking a flavor of English that is as clear as possible for all readers and interpreters of the constitution and bylaws. 
we will achieve this without dumbing down the language or the readers. The language of the Constitution and the bylaws needs to be approachable, succinct, and unambiguous. There is a move among some of our countries to write plain language laws, policies, and guidelines. Our goal is to take advantage of that move. Giving only one example, at grassroots level in Blind Citizens New Zealand, we're working on remits for this October's National Conference. The challenge is to write remits and resolutions to be as clear as possible and easy to read aloud by sighted narrators who may know nothing about the matters being raised. Now, this is a fun challenge. The clearer we can write the language, the easier it will be for all of us to stay on top of, for example, when we need to do the tasks completed ahead of future assemblies and midterm executive committee meetings. Each of us has our own kind of personal task manager, perhaps a pen and paper, slate and stylus, or something more sophisticated. Can we find an easy to use task manager that can run alongside the bylaws and constitution? Right now, I have a whole heap of things to work through in updating the bylaws. The last two years of my life have been busier for me than at any time since I left full-time employment in 2008. Nonetheless, I must get onto this task as soon as possible. Indeed, I'm looking forward to this for, I am looking forward to sharing the work with my committee and the wider ICEB family of seven different Braille authorities. Are there any questions? Mary, I think that if you're looking for a synonym or a word that might work better for you than charge, I would suggest assignment is more accurately than task. Okay. So, but questions, anyone? Anyone have any questions for Miri? No, you did a good job. Anything else? No, there's nothing, nothing more that, that I right. need to add. Well, since no one has any questions, thank you so much, Miri. And um, we Madam will- Madam President? Yes. Sorry, um, before we- I know we have the next item on the agenda. I was going to suggest either before that or after that, that we could have another CanCon moment. Ah, yes, we can. And I think we'll do it before that. But um, we're, this is the midterm because it's uh, the middle of the term. And I think um, in this next half of the term, we will take the constitution and bylaws uh, 
quite a lot more forward and really work on it before our 2024 meeting, which I sincerely hope will be in person. Yes. Okay. So thank you, Mary. That's wonderful. And we do have a fair bit of work to do. We do. All right. Jen, take it away. All right. Well, before we go on to the next item, um, I did say that I had more food things, but I'm going to do that on another day just to spread out the fun. So my educational background is linguistics. And so I thought I have to take a little segment where I talk about language because Canada has a lot of interesting things going on when it comes to language. So we've already highlighted the fact that Canada is an officially bilingual country. But we have 10 provinces and three territories, which some of you may or may not have known. New Brunswick, which is just east of Quebec, is the only province that is officially bilingual uh, English and French. And Quebec is uh, the only one that is officially, French is the only official language in Quebec and all the other provinces either don't have any specification or they're just basically uh, English is their official language, but there is uh, every province and territory does have francophones and does have uh, certain resources that are provided. The Northwest Territories, which is one of the uh, one of our three territories, is um, sort of in the very northern part of Canada. Some of you might think it's it's all north, which I guess is kind of true, but this is even more north. The Northwest Territories actually has 11 official languages, and, and I have often thought when when Christo and Chavani would talk about South Africa with its 11 official languages, I was always fascinated um, by that. And the uh, Northwest Territories has 11 as well, and I'm actually going to read them because I just think it's kind of cool. So there is Gwich'in, Chippewyan, Dene, Inwenyaktun, Telet. Which that I am not sure I'm pronouncing it correctly, and I meant to sort that out before today. Inuktitut, Cree, North Slavey, South Slavey, Inuvialuktun, English, and French. So those are the 11 official languages of the Northwest Territories, which I think it's very cool. And just a final linguistic tidbit because many um, early, many immigrants to Canada in the 16th, 17th, and 16, 17, 1800s came from uh, Scotland. Gaelic was actually for a while the one of the most predominant languages in in Canada, and we do have um, somewhere upwards of a, a hundred more than that actually of First Nations languages as well and different languages and dialects. But one of the neat things I thought about Gaelic, which I wanted to share, is that the uh, what we have as the um fathers of confederation which i believe in in the united states is a little bit more like the founding fathers all of our fathers of confederation had gaelic as their mother tongue with the exception of georges etienne cartier who was french so i just thought that was kind of neat okay back to you judy that is kind of neat thank you yeah that's really interesting all right thanks jen we will now move on to hearing from Natalie Martiniello, who will talk about the research committee. And after 
Natalie's presentation, we can have a discussion about research as, as we wish, and that will conclude today's agenda. So Natalie, take it away. Perfect. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. All right, excellent. Well, hello again, everyone. So this is the research committee session in the agenda. And so during the session, what I'd like to do is I'll start off by just giving a brief summary of the report that was circulated, uh, the research committee report that was circulated as part of the midterm package um, leading up to this meeting. Um, so I won't touch on every point in that report, just a few highlights. And then what I'd really like to do is to open up uh, a discussion with all of you, um, including observers about some of the themes highlighted, but also just to learn more about the research that's happening where you are um, and research related events and priorities. So by way of background, um, the research committee was established in 2016 um, at the 2016 General Assembly. And the mandate of the research committee is really to monitor and report on relevant braille related research that's happening um, in English speaking countries, uh, ISA member countries and around the world um, as it pertains to the work that ICEB does. Um, and it, so it's really a way just to provide a mechanism for us to exchange information about research and to be aware of what we're all doing because one of the things with research is that sometimes we're in these silos where we're all doing great work and we don't know about it and then we reinvent the wheel. So, <laughs> so it's a great way to, uh, to, to learn about what's happening. Um, and by sharing information about ongoing research or research that's been published, it's also a really good way for the ICEB executive and representatives to be aware of what priorities, what are the current and future priorities in the world of, of Braille research and development um, and, and where we should be um, getting involved. Um, and one of the things that I, I really feel, and I'm sure others on the committee before me um, feel as well, is that this committee, I, I really encourage anyone with an interest, even if you're not directly involved in Braille research. And the reason for that is because if, if you're involved in, in practice, whether you're a Braille reader or you're an educator, um, this is a good way for you to know about the research that's happening and to start kind of thinking about how you can apply that to what you do and to kind of quote, quote unquote real life, we can say. Uh, but it's also a really good way for researchers to know about what's happening on the ground and kind of the reality of using and learning and teaching and producing Braille. Um, not just the reality, but also a way for researchers to really understand where there are gaps or needs or how research can basically support or facilitate, enhance what, what you're doing um, and provide evidence to support that work. So for that reason, um, I'll be very interested to hear from uh, those of you who are here today. I have been the chair of the research committee since 2021. 
And previously, this position was held by um, Francis Mary Dandrea, who's with us today, our ICEB secretary. Um, we also have representatives from the different uh, member countries, as well as I believe we're uh, at about 15 uh, observers on the listserv. So we do have a listserv which you can join uh, just to, to see the information that's shared or to send along information about research that's happening where you are. So current representatives on the committee include myself as chair from Canada. We have Emily White from Australia, Carol Byrne from Ireland, Maria Stevens from New Zealand. We have Dina Moodley from South Africa. We have Emma Edwards from the UK and Francis Mary Deandra from the United States, as well as, as I mentioned, um, a number of observers and invited um, experts, um, including uh, Dr. Robert Engelbretson from the, U the USA as well. So, over the past year, um, a number of different research studies, articles, publications have been shared on the listserv. I'll just highlight some of the topics. This is not an exhaustive list. So again, I'll be interested to hear from others. Um, some of these topics have included tactile graphics, so the learning and teaching of um, tactile graphics or reading tactile graphics. Um, also uh, research related to adult braille literacy um, and braille learning, braille literacy assessment, and also um, a number of studies around braille reading strategies and specifically UEB as well. Um, and some really interesting uh, uh, work around Braille literacy statistics, which some of you may have already heard about as well. So if I just highlight a few themes um, from the report, um, if we look at tactile graphics, this is certainly an area of interest, not just in research, but in practice as well. Um, we know that there are lots of different uh, technologies being developed to increase digital access to tactile graphics. Um, and certainly with all other types of, I guess, technology development, I think that's one area where um, members of the Braille community play a really crucial role because we, we want to ensure that those technologies reflect our needs um, and realities. Um, I, I did mention in one of my previous updates that a uh, national um, network focusing on research related to the teaching and learning of tactile graphics was established. I'm just looking at my notes. I don't want to forget one of the organizations involved in this. So it's National Braille Press, Lighthouse San Francisco. This is in the U US, um, as well as the University of Alabama, Huntsville. And so um, the purpose of this group is to Bring together, uh, bring together experts to focus on research on the teaching, learning, and use of tactile graphics. 
Um, so how do we best teach it? How do we best produce it? Um, and so this is certainly something that um, as an organization, we'll, we would like to monitor um, and know about what comes of this collaboration. So certainly if there's anyone here who, who has an update um, on that, I, we would be very interested to hear. Um, and this is also a theme that you, if you've attended different research conferences or even more professional conferences, this is a theme that we see is, is very uh, popular right now. Uh, for those of you who attended the Tactile Reading Conference, which also was virtual, I believe that was in 2021. It's hard to keep all the dates straight during the pandemic. Um, but there was uh, a presentation uh, from some uh, researchers uh, from the Netherlands, I believe, who actually presented on a new curriculum that they developed to try to teach the reading of tactile graphics using a more systematic approach, kind of beginning with lines and textures and then moving on to more complex um, tactile graphics, um, as well as learning about how to, how to interpret tactile images from different perspectives. So kind of the front view and the side view and different things like that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what comes from that research as well and how we can best support uh, students of all ages to read tactile graphics. Certainly it's relevant um, related to uh, the STEM field, science, technology, engineering, and math, where we are still very underrepresented. So that will be interesting to monitor. We also know that Sensi Lab in, in Australia, which um, among its members includes Leona Holloway, who uh, was a previous member of ICEB Executive, has also done some work uh, related to 3D printing as well, different approaches for uh, 3D printing. Um, and there's some work um, in Canada that has been exploring more uh, the differences between 2D and 3D images, tactile images, um, particularly for older adults who might have tactile perception difficulties um, and whether that uh, plays a role at all. So um, we'll definitely be interested to hear from others who, who have updates to share related to tactile graphics or tactile graphic technology. If we turn to adult braille literacy, uh, so definitely this is a, a priority in the adult blindness, low vision rehabilitation space. Uh, right now, adults with acquired vision impairment or sight loss, or whichever term we prefer using, are the majority of people served in um, vision rehabilitation services today compared to the past when this is mostly um, people with congenital impairment. So um, there's been kind of a growing interest around how to best support adult learners of Braille who differ quite a bit from children. Um, and some of that work has included um, just focusing on adult users of Braille. So these are not necessarily um, people who learned Braille in adulthood, but who learned it earlier in life. Um, and looking at you know, differences between Braille versus other formats and just kind of reinforcing some of the things that we've heard before about differences in reading comprehension. Um, if you're a, a fluent Braille reader, uh, you may have 
better comprehension when reading physically for yourself than listening, uh, which is what you would see in print as well. Um, but also some interesting work uh, around um, learning new vocabulary and the differences between using audio and, and Braille as well in adulthood. Um, if we look more at adult Braille learners, um, some of that work um, some of that work is my own, so I won't talk too much about it. So I like to highlight some work being done by others as well, but to say in maybe a sentence or two, um, that's uh, really looking at the different ways we can assess um, prospective Braille learners in adulthood and just highlighting that there are so many different ways to assess all the underlying skills that are important for using Braille, like tactile, perception. Um, and so there's not a lot of consistency. And so we don't want to rely too heavily on one method um, because of that, but also looking at some of the barriers encountered by adult Braille learners, which, um, which are not related to age. They're more related to um, access to services and motivating reading materials and access to affordable, refreshable Braille technology. So that's an example of of how that could really help to reinforce the need for lower cost braille displays and for uh, different services to better meet those gaps. If we look at braille and educational assessment, so there's some interesting work from the UK and I know we do have some UK uh, uh, participants here today. Um, so they uh, recently launched the curriculum framework for children and young people with vision impairments. So CFVI, uh, I believe is the acronym. And so this was developed by a number of different stakeholders, including the RNIB. And it, um, it's a framework that essentially presents outcomes in, in different teaching areas, including Braille literacy, and, and provides a framework um, or common vocabulary uh, for guidelines and for um, um, service delivery as well. So in the area of Braille reinforces the need of having, uh, for having access to qualified professionals. Um, It'll be very interesting. This was very recently launched, so it'll be interesting to hear um, about how it's being used in practice and how it differs from maybe um, what we might be more familiar with in other countries as well. So it'll be uh, interesting to hear from others here today who may be able to speak on that. And then there's quite a bit of research related just to Braille reading generally. Um, so some of the, and, and again, this is not exhaustive at, at all, but just to highlight how some of this work might influence kind of our decisions, code related decisions or even educational related uh, decisions. Some work by Dr. Seviano in the US looked at um, UEB um, and um, its efficiency in representing print. and. And essentially uh, what, what that um, focused on was th the idea that maybe we can teach short forms differently based on when they appear in school texts, so in educational uh, materials. Um, and then there's uh, some interesting work as well on um, uh, contractions that bridge across morpho 
morphemes uh, within words. Um, and so just the idea that um, this is actually something that may influence um, reading reading outcomes in adults as well. And I don't know if we have uh, Dr. Agnel Bresson with us today, but I know that that work continues. Um, if I just move away slightly before I do open this up for discussion, there are a few other areas of focus within the committee that we've uh, highlighted over the past year. If for those of you who have uh, read our the, the newsletter submissions. Um, so one of those um, is that we've been working on updating the Wikipedia pages related to Braille. And so, so far we've updated the Braille Wikipedia page. So the main um, Braille Wikipedia page, um, just to kind of address uh, some out of date information. So we, we just made sure that the UEB symbols are represented in place of the, the, old, uh, the old symbols. Um, we also included some more information about adult Braille learners, new technologies, so new ways of reading and writing Braille, in addition to those tried and true methods of the Slate and Silas and the Perkins Brailler. Um, and uh, we've also updated that uh, the Braille literacy statistics section of that page to reflect some newly published research on where some of those statistics come from. And, um, and I'll, I'll say a few words about that study, but um, it was published in JVIB earlier this year. Um, and one of the authors is, is with us here today, it's Francis Mary DeAndrea. And uh, they, they essentially traced that famous statistic we've all heard uh, about for many, many years, a 10% statistic for Braille readers and found that it primarily comes from um, popular media articles and that there really is no reliable Braille literacy rate or statistic um, that we can use because of the way that we've collected this information in the past. It's generally based on samples or convenient samples, so meaning not the entire population um, of Braille readers. It might be based on uh, Braille readers who request hard copy materials from specific organizations. So that would exclude adults, but it would also exclude uh, potentially people who access electronic Braille. And so there, there are a number of other factors that kind of play into this. Uh, but what's really wonderful is that it, it kind of demonstrates how we can use research to um, address misconceptions that we've heard about for a long time. I know within Braille Literacy Canada, we are very often asked about how many people read Braille, and this usually launches me or Jen or someone else <laughs> um, on, the, on the board to essentially say, well, you know, there isn't a, a number that we can really use, and what's really more important than the number is that the people who can benefit from Braille have access to Braille. Um, but it's wonderful that we can now point people to this study that really focuses on this and that provides more information about why it's so important for us to be critical about the things we read and to just think about the implications of, of taking these things um, to heart. Um, so 
the, the report does touch on um, some other aspects of research as well. Uh, what um, later on this week, when we talk about resolutions, I will speak more to resolution three, which touches on gathering adult braille learning resources, which isn't directly related to research, but in a way it is in that um, once we've collected these resources from, from different member countries, we'll be able to put those together into one area on the website and also have, have a better sense of, of kind of an environmental scan of what's currently available or where there are gaps. So with that being said, um, I'm assuming, Judy, we do have time for, for discussion now. We do, yes, okay. we do. Excellent. So I would like to turn this now over to all of you here today. And perhaps um, a good way to begin would be to ask, um, so to begin with executive members as well as uh, representatives um, on the committee, if you have any comments to add about any of the themes I've highlighted, any updates related to those, or any other uh, research that's currently happening that you would like to share, including information about upcoming research events that you may want to, others to know about. And then we will turn to observers as well. So do we have Hello. any? Yeah. Oh, perfect. Hello, Natalie. It's very interesting. Um, just prior to this meeting, I was catching up on emails and there was a discussion on a, 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 an email list I'm on about Braille display. And um, someone was saying, well, when I read Braille, it hurts. Mm -hmm. And so there is definitely a need not only to research, but also to disseminate best practice um, and there were all sorts of tips coming out like you need a light touch make sure the table's at the right height have you tried reading on your lap versus on the table have you put a shoulder strap on the case make sure your wrists aren't tense and you're not you know sitting uncomfortably and all this kind of stuff because it's it's kind of what we might consider as long-term braille readers as basic stuff mm. but obviously there's a, still a need to get that information out there. Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely agree. And, and some of the uh, resources we've been collecting so far touch on a lot of that. Um, and I do know that the, the Hadley um, Institute for Visually Impaired, which many of you may be aware of, um, is in the process of updating their course on teaching Braille to adults as well, which summarizes a lot of, of what you just mentioned, James, as well, about having a light touch. But I think another interesting area of research, um, which certainly we've, we've seen highlighted with the Brailleist Foundation, is about best practices around remote Braille instruction um, for, for adults who may not have access to services um, where they are, and, and kind of what are the um, how can that best work? Where are their limitations? Um, and certainly around uh, Braille display usage as well. Other comments? 
just to is... follow up there, sorry. Yeah, okay. absolutely. That's actually, that's actually a very good point about Braille display usage, um, because I, I certainly in the UK, there's a lot of people who are getting Braille displays for the first time. Yeah. Um, with, with the advent of the cheaper ranges of Braille displays, um, you know, a lot of people beginning to use refreshable Braille, uh, having never been exposed to it before. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm i thinking about older adults just because it's more, you know, adulthood, older adulthood is more the research I focus on. But kind of related to that is there's so many different designs for Braille displays and thinking about kind of dexterity. I've, I've heard, I've heard of some groups, some researchers who are working on kind of what are what would be the best design for older adult? I mean, everybody's so individual too, right? But in terms of whether there is a better design for older adults who might have more difficulties with fine motor skills for where those thumb keys are and other functions that they may need to access on a braille display. Other comments from James, or I think I also heard someone else Hello, oh, Francis Mary. Hi. Hello. <laughs> um, thank you for that really great summary and, and, and your report. There were two additional things that I just wanted to mention that were kind of ongoing uh, projects. And one isn't specifically about Braille, but it certainly was um, included uh, Braille readers in it. And that was a grant that had been given to the Ohio State University and, and um, other colleagues from the National Science Foundation in the United States to create a national research agenda for STEM, science, technology, engineering, and, and math for students with visual impairments. And uh, they had brought together a large group of people who work in STEM fields and people who are educators of students who are blind or visually impaired and um, all, all kinds of folks, braille readers and <laughs> everybody else to create this, this uh, national research agenda um, to look at what research is needed to ensure that students with visual impairments who are blind and uh, have the opportunities to um, work in STEM fields. And so that document is now available on uh, <clears throat> a website that was created by um, the folks who worked on this project, uh, Dr. Tiffany Wild at Ohio State University and uh, Stacy Kelly, who's at Northern Illinois and uh, Derek Smith, who's in um, Huntsville, Alabama. Anyway, so I'll, I'll make sure that I share this with the research committee yeah, um, just definitely. because I think that that document will be of, of interest to many people. Um, and the second, and I know that uh, Dr. Robert Engelbretson from Rice is going to be talking to BLC in, in, a, in a couple of weeks or so, um, but he has, uh, and some colleagues such as, uh, uh, Simon Fischerbaum and um, uh, Kay Holbrook have a really fascinating grant through um, IES, which is also United States um, research 
grant from the Department of Education. Um, and they have been creating this huge database of <clears throat> students who have participated in the Braille Challenge, which is uh, an event that has been held, sponsored by the Braille Institute in Los, um, Los Angeles um, for the last, I don't know how many years, including students from the United States and Canada uh, who take part in various Braille related um, re reading activities, reading comprehension and spelling and all kinds of, of stuff. And so they have been uploading uh, information, I think from the past four or five years of students who have participated in that to create this database of information that will be available. And so I know I was, um, I was looking at the participants list just to see if any, if, um, Robert or Kay or <laughs> Simon is on this. I don't this think so. But make sure you ask him about that grant yes. um, because I think it's going to be a, a real um, treasure trove of information about um, young Braille readers in the US and Canada. Yeah, and it's not very often that you have access to that kind of a sample um, of, of, you know, Braille braille writing samples to look at. So that's that's amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, it'll be really, really good to know what happens with that. Um, uh, definitely do share that that document about uh, braille and STEM that you mentioned. And, and the other thing I wanted to just touch on that you mentioned as well is about um, Dr. Robert Engelbretson's work is that he will be giving a presentation um, at the Braille Literacy Canada Symposium, which is on June 17th. So um, it begins at 1 p.m. Eastern North America time. I, I can't do quick enough math to tell you what that means in all the other time zones, but um, you are all very welcome to uh, register if you'd like to attend. Um, and there will also be recordings made available to those who register. And he will be touching on, I know, um, uh, a number of different studies that he's working on. So I think we'll, we'll have an opportunity to start discussing some of those things there as well. Natalie, since you brought that up, I'll just say if anybody wants to register and has not done so yet, if you write to info at blc lbc.ca um, that's how you can register and I'll, I'll send you we'll send you the uh, the information that you need so that you can actually register through zoom which is how we're actually doing it um, yeah. you could also go to our website for any of you if you didn't get a chance to jot down that email address we'll be getting it to you again but it's the uh, the address that sent you the um, documents and zoom link for this meeting um, that's the same address so Exactly. And our website is just BrailleLiteracyCanada.ca and the full program is there as well. Thank and you, one, And 1 p.m. is three hours before this meeting started. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was thinking of way And things will be yeah. recorded. So if you register, but you, yeah. you know, don't want to attend in the middle of the night, I don't know, why, why wouldn't you want to get up at 2 a.m., right? Um, <laughs> but you can, if you register, then, you know, we can, you can you can listen to it later at a, at a time that's more reasonable. Exactly. <laughs> so 
Natalie, Debbie has her hand up. Oh, excellent. Yes, Miss Gillespie. Ah, thank you very much. Um, by, uh, by the way, um, I, I have a question regarding, it was in part of my talk, but I, I, during my talk, I lost one of my pages too, Jen. So that's why I was a little shorter than it was, Today for was intended. Yeah, really. Like, you know, like usually I staple them, but such is life. Um, my my question regards about reading uh, for older adults, and generally though, has the research been done into reading hard copy Braille on paper versus reading on a Braille display? And my second uh, point is, um, I was talking to a, a vision loss rehabilitation uh, person who works in the west uh, west in Manitoba. Uh, just west of Ontario, or the next province west of us. And she indicated that some of her clients were not able to read and learn Braille using paper Braille, but really succeeded well on using uh, the Orbit Reader, for example. And, and I just, I'm curious about that. And has there any been anything done about that? Or is there research into that? Because, you know, that's a fascinating thing. Yeah, it really is. And I'll tell you when I know Debbie, and then we'll see if others uh, would like to add to it. Um, so I know from the research I've done, um, looking at um, just the use of hard copy versus refreshable Braille to learn Braille. This, so far, we've only done this in very kind of, um, you know, in an experiment, so not in a realistic learning situation over time. Um, that for older adults who have reduced sense of touch, it is a little bit faster and more accurate with a braille display, but um, which makes sense, right? Because of the dot, the increased dot height and dot density, you can say, the firmer dots. Um, but one of the things that I know I was very careful to <laughs> highlight in that research is the importance of still teaching hard copy braille for a lot of the reasons that you touched on in your presentation, Debbie, around formatting, for example, um, and having access to more than one line of braille, um, and that a lot of older adults may be using braille in daily life for labels and in, in different hard copy context. Um, so I think, um, you know, the thing with refreshable Braille is that it can, it can really increase motivation, and you can use it alongside hard, hard copy Braille. And one of the things that I know is a, a very big barrier for older learners of Braille in general, is having enough opportunities to practice Braille, because there is a lot of research, you know, and it's it's logical to say this, right, that the more you read, the better reader you will be. Um, but that's true in adulthood and older adulthood, too. So even if you look at, um, you know, older adults um, who learned Braille at the same age, but one uses Braille more often, um, that person will likely have better Braille reading speed or performance. Um, the, the, issue, the issue is that Braille displays are still very expensive. So this is kind of another reason, I guess, why research around all of these things also helps us to advocate for lower cost Braille displays, which is hugely important for adults because they don't have access to funding, usually.
I'm not sure if anyone else has um, anything I don't else currently, to add. I don't currently have any hands. Natalie, and, you mentioned yeah. about the layout that you can get from the paper braille. I think there's another issue as well, which is paper braille generally has more than one line and refreshable braille displays currently generally don't. Exactly. Now, as well as the um, as, as, as well as the actual layout aspect of that, it means you can get to the next line in some ways slightly quicker because you can start, you know, advanced braille readers, if I may use that term, can start reading the start off the, the second line whilst still reading the end of the first and all that kind of crazy stuff. Yeah, that like scissors, advanced scissors. Yeah, exactly. all that kind of stuff. It's, it's mm. so true. And I haven't seen research related to, and just while I'm talking, if there are observers who would like to jump in, uh, please, please do raise your hand. Um, I haven't seen research specifically uh, related to Braille um, on this specific question, but I know in the print research world, there is some research showing that um, readers build mental maps as they're reading. So if you're reading a physical book, you might remember something you read because you remember where it was located, like the top left of the page or the bottom right of the page. It's kind of like this, this reference point that helps anchor the memory of what you read. Um, and so this was more focusing on, on print readers and kind of comparing having access to one line versus a full page. Um, and certainly, you know, that that may be the case uh, for Braille as well. Natalie, that um, this is Jen. Um, I, I, I was going to say something else, but that what you just talked about has happened to me. I mean, not as much now but like when I was a student numerous times I would remember that I was on a certain part of the page and even just how far in the book right was it near the beginning of the volume or near the end of the volume or in the middle like that kind of stuff too so I would say that's something I I can relate to the other thing that I was gonna touch on too is that while clearly hard copy braille you can have a pile of papers and lose a page or put it somewhere else which as we've I, all demonstrated <laughs> as we've all demonstrated but one of the challenges I find with I mean I you know connect a braille display to my computer and I always I'm always working with the display but I find if I'm going to read something out like the treasures report or whatever I don't like to rely on technology because for some reason the braille display and the and the um the screen readers sometimes they they kind of work against you and the cursor bounces and all these things happen and so I do find that that's as great as the technology is somehow when you're reading aloud that's always a risk that you sort of run so there's there's definitely pros and cons either way especially when it comes to like using it to present and somebody oh, joins zoom or leaves yep. zoom and <laughs> but I, I find shares it, a screen <laughs> i find it interesting though that both jen and debbie uh had hard copy notes for their presentations i do and as well I, and yeah and i would like to <laughs> i don't so i mean this is why i'm forgetting people and i'm i'm in an environment where i don't have my embosser and i don't have access to hard copy and i'm really missing it so it's it's interesting that it's it's not just the vagaries of technology it it 
just it just feels more solid. It does. Yeah, this is, it does. This is FM. And Judy, one of, oh. one of the things about this is that um, the lag between when you press the advance and if you're speaking and reading at the same time, I don't, there's too much. I haven't, yeah, I got an older display where I'm at right now. Um, the old uh, original Brilliant uh, from Humanware. And there's too much lag uh, between when you press the advance and when you get the refreshed. It's nice and quiet and it's very responsive, but I don't want, I don't want any lag. I want to be in control of when I, I'm where I am that, on I'm, I'm thinking that's a, that's true, but there's more to it than that because I, I'm. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, it, it, I agree with you. It's like a book versus a, a yeah. digital copy. I guess. Well, and this is yeah. FM. FM. I, I think it's really hard on Zoom, and because I, when I do webinars on Zoom, I actually usually will print out my slides so that I can have them in print next to me because it's difficult sometimes to be able to, you know, be managing the, the, the Zoom technology as well as that's um, interesting yeah yeah i mean just because you can't always look ahead and it's you're trying to you know if you're presenting sometimes you can't see the notes and everything else so i, I think it also just depends on um whether you're ha managing several of the technology things that at multitasking um, right <laughs> and and this reminds me too um natalie one of the yeah. articles that i had forwarded to the um iceb research committee was an article that this wasn't about uh, adults but it was about effectiveness of trend uh, technology for braille literacy education for children it was a systematic uh, review that had been done by some folks in in canada um and they did a, um, a review of 12 peer-reviewed English language articles. And basically they came to the conclusions that we need a lot more research into the question of uh, technologies for braille literacy education and um, what are best practices, what are um, you know, benefits, what are, um, you know, as, as far as what they were able to find that it is motivational, it's engaging, it gives some of that auditory feedback along with the, with the tactile feedback, but there's still just so much that we, we need to know about best practices for instruction. Definitely. Um, and, and it also depends on what you're trying to get out of, of reading, you know, like, is it, is it speed? Usually there's, you know, skimming like you've all mentioned when you're going through a presentation you want to quickly find your location and so all these things will influence um, what format is best for that given task but we definitely need more research to understand the best instructional strategies for sure um, do we have raised hands no no raised hand. So any observers who would like to contribute to this or um, share anything else related to research or research events? So while, while we're waiting to see if there are any remaining hands, I will say that one event that is coming up in July is the um, uh, International Society for Research on, I'm going to get this wrong, ISLR, um, Low Vision Rehabilitation Research. Um, and they are meeting in Dublin um, this July. So 
Uh, I'm not sure if anyone here would like to speak on that. Uh, Ilka, if you're still here, not to put you on the spot. But if not, I will say a few words. Yeah, I can come, I can come in on that. Perfect. Um, um, so um, Ireland, basically all the organizations um, supporting people with visual impairment have come together to host this conference. Um, it'll be a hybrid conference, so you can attend both in person and online. And there'll be a variety of different areas that will be looked at and there'll be an exhibition as well. And um, as far as I'm aware, registration is still open if anybody's interested to join in online at this stage. Yes, definitely. It'd be nice to finally get together. Absolutely. Thanks, Natalie. And any other events coming up that we, we might want to... We have uh, Scott Erickson. Oh, perfect. Go ahead. Well, uh, not an event, just just yeah, <laughs> just comments um, on on the discussion. Yeah, I found that fascinating, um, really interesting stuff. What I found interesting was the discussion, particularly then about um, you know the hard copy versus um, electronic. I've got um, quite a plethora of braille displays and other devices here, and I, I also have I have two embosses. I have one at home and one at work, and. There are times where, you know, as we said, it's just so nice to have Braille in hard copy. Obviously, there's the obvious things like music and stuff like that. But I, I, I don't know. I find if I'm doing a presentation uh, and I have to actually present, I find it so much more, I don't know, there's just this satisfaction about having paper, you know, yeah. paper in front of you. And I think, yeah, and, you know, like I, I, you know, I use Braille with my computer, my phone and all that sort of stuff. But it's, yeah, it's true. It's really nice to just have, you know, don't forget the hard copy. You know, it's it's still so important. Yeah, that that is not just, it's so true, right? It's not just about those like objective reading outcomes, like speed. It's also about just preference and how you feel as you're reading it. And what what I was thinking about while you were making that comment is also, as we see more and more research, especially in the area of development, so different devices or technologies uh, for Braille readers um, uh, and just blind people in general, I think this is why it's so, so important that researchers and developers include us from the start in these discussions. Oh, yeah. Because Definitely. When you don't, exactly, right? Because when, when you don't do that, what ends up happening is that devices might be built based on people who are well-meaning, but who might have misconceptions about what we need. And so this is why it's so important that within ICB, we're, we're talking about this and we're highlighting <laughs> um, yeah. the realities of using Braille and teaching Braille for those of us who are educators. and. And, and just ensuring that we remain part of these discussions as things develop. I think also part of it is, 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 is also it's, you know, there's the whole other discussion about what are you comfortable uh, reading in terms of, you know, how, um, I don't even think it's a speed thing in terms of yeah. electronic versus, um, you know, versus hard copy. I think it's a, it's almost a, it's a perception really in a way like we have you know some people who are great braille readers who who learned later in life and there are others who are you know 
who've been reading, you know, since practically since, you know, they were born and, you know, um, there's all that consideration as well. I, yeah. I agree with you. I don't think it's speed either. I, I, cause I'm, I'm all, I'm one of those who's been reading since I was yeah. born. Yeah. And yeah, I so, also have, yeah. you know, displays all over the place and phones yeah. and everything else. <laughs> but I, I mean, I am, right now not able to have hard copy and it's and i'm finding it very very difficult because i'm used to you've got displays and it's like you can use any number of displays i have four displays here on my desk (laughs) and and yet i'm i'm I'm, it's just not paper i want (laughs) paper you've got half of my collection yeah well (laughs) you know it's difficult well, and one thing too that, um, and Natalie uh, will know this, about four summers ago, I sort of was, I don't diagnosed, I started dealing with carpal tunnel, and which is terrible for a Braille reader, I just have to yeah. say that. And I have found that in, you know, I, it's helpful for me to switch between a display and hard copy because when my hand, it, it's much better now, and I'm, I'm back up to like the amounts of time at you know, the amount, the blocks of time that I can read, but I find sometimes that just switching from the motion of the, what it's like when you read using a display versus hard copy has actually been, it's been very helpful to have that option. Oh, definitely. I think so. And I also think that, I mean, this is a separate discussion, but I think every display is different in the way that it feels like, you know, you get these manufacturers that say, Oh, our display feels like paper. You're like, no, it does nothing. nothing. None, of like feel like None of them feel like paper. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's very true. Well, I, I, I mean, I think there's really some things about this whole discussion of paper versus electronic. I think there's aspects of it that we don't know yet. Because I, I, I mean, we're all saying the same thing, but I don't think we really know exactly why. Or, or there's many different reasons, right? It's possible. <laughs> yeah, 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 but right. I'm, or there's one that is elusive yeah I think so too because I've had this discussion with my sighted family and friends and and you know I I love the fact that I can read books electronically because of the vast amount of books it gives me access to but there's something to turning pages and that's I have sighted friends who are like no I don't like I'll use an e-reader or like my iPad or whatever, Kindle, if I, that's the only way I can get the book, but I much, I want a book. I want an actual physical book. And so I think that is also, you know, we're talking about presentations and things, but just to broaden it to other kinds of reading, I think there's something to paper, turning the page, carrying a book around, at least for those of us that are a or, little or older. Or, yeah, or a, a trolley you know, case, of carrying around. Yeah, I was about to say that. Getting a driver for a truck. You know? <laughs> we had a storm a couple of weeks ago that left much of Ottawa without power. And I didn't have power for from Saturday afternoon until Monday morning. And I, as my phone battery was kind of dying, I was texting with a friend of mine and I said, you know what? I'm so thankful I can read. I have tons of hard copy books in my house. Like I, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, that's very pragmatic, I guess, but you know, there's just, there is something to that. That's maybe not something that you can quantify. And yeah. another, another thing that people forget about Braille is that we can read in the dark. That's uh, exactly know, I mean, what I was saying. Yeah. I can still yeah. read my powers out. It's, you yeah. know, 11 exactly. o'clock at night. Yep. Can't yeah. charge yeah. the devices. 
Yeah. But there's some some security. I mean, I just I I can't. I still think there's. It won't fail on you. That's yeah. 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 No, <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm with I'm with Judy. There's something yep. about there's this, about, this yeah. falls into a couple of categories actually. Um, it's called the curious mind, I suppose. But one <laughs> of the things is that you know when you look at paper braille, like for you know because you have multiple lines, but let's go with the sensation of it. Like it, you just feel it's like a security blanket yes. or something like you you mm-hmm. have that under your fingers and if you decide you don't want to read a certain paragraph or you want to skip through it uh you just can a lot quicker like you have more fluidity whereas if you have the electronic display you've got to go okay go what's the go-to command yeah, no, <laughs> I've forgotten it. And, and then you've got to talk at the same time but reading um, i've talked to other people as well about books and some of the re- i have readers no readers that would they won't they still stay with hard copy because they want the feel of the pages to flip the page yeah but the the, the other piece to this is location there are times yes, when i'm yes. fine with there, there are times where i'm fine with with a digital with a display you know if i'm moving particularly if i'm moving you know I, if i'm sitting in my home or whatever i think i i think i like hard copy best but if i'm moving you know, whether a car, train, whatever, but it's, I, I'm okay with it, but I know it's temporary. Mm-hmm. You don't want to take a Braille display to the beach. No, <laughs> there is no I know people who've done that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It depends on the, the, you know, why you're using it. And it'd be interesting. I don't know if, if those of you who work with younger children, you know, we're getting to the point where there's probably a lot of people who have less experience reading tons of physical hard copy Braille books. Um, so I think it's availability, though. I don't think it's yeah. ne- or, or access. I don't think it's necessarily the lack of the material. I mean, you, I know, for example, we can we can get we can download Braille files, but for instance, if you want to emboss them, you can request them to be embossed, and I think um, you know they will turn up. But I, I think one of the other points is the fact that and, and this is something we've all sort of touched on but haven't really said it is that um you know the 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 art of reading i think the fact that it's not just about reading hard copy versus digital i think it's all about what you're actually reading as opposed to it's 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 the type of material that you're reading instead of necessarily just hard copy versus digital yes. i mean we can have an extra day and have this discussion but, um. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So, it's, a great, it's a great discussion though it's mm. yeah, yeah. yes mm. natalie we do have two hands okay um so um are we, we still have time yeah we're fine perfect. we're fine perfect go ahead um hi i just wanted to add to the discussion um i i um I um, learnt Braille um, a bit later in, later in life. Um, I actually didn't start learning Braille until I was teenage, um, a teenager, and I just feel it, um, found it really fascinating with the discussion. You know, I, when I learnt Braille, it was all in a hard copy, and um, you know, over the years, I've I've moved to using electronic Braille. But I think for me, I do find um, I read faster in hard copy, and I feel like I um, I guess I take in what I'm reading more if if that if that kind of makes sense like you kind of I kind of feel like I focus more Mm. reading hard copy than with electronic because I guess you're having to think oh you know I have to 
keep ahead of what I'm reading to make sure that I'm moving the display. And um, it was interesting what some of the, um, you were saying on the call about um, having hard copy notes while you're presenting. Um, I found that myself, like I have found um, particularly, you know, having to use Zoom or Teams that, you know, trying to flick between the um, platform you're using to talk or present and then having to flick between where you've got your notes as well. So I just found that really interesting. Um, and it'd be really interesting to see how this research goes um, as well, because I think it's, um, I think it's also the way people learn Braille. Like I'm not sure how much hard copy or paper Braille is used now in, in teaching Braille, but um, yeah, I just find it really fascinating. Yeah. Discussion. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, I, I could say so many things in response to that. But first, what fully agree, maybe we'll go on to the next comment uh, and then I'll come back. Uh, Jordy? Go ahead, Jordy. Hi there, everyone. Um, yeah, I was going to say that I performed at a concert yesterday and there was no uh, alternative to hard copy, as in it, it was just much more sensible to have with the volume of music and the fast rate that we had to progress through the material, just to turn those pages and, and function in a choir and have, as you were saying before, Natalie, I think it was having one hand um, at one point on the page, another hand on another point of the page, yeah. it's just... Yeah, there's no alternative. And also just to recall that it's not just Braille. I mean, our sighted friends um, definitely feel the same way about hard copy remembering location on a page. But I find too with my Braille transcription role that my sighted um, readers, copy holders, will mark things on a printed page. And I know you can do that on an, on an iPad or whatever in PDF and mark up things, but there's something about a pencil and marking you know, a repeat bar or something like that on, on a page and uh, comparing one source with another in hard copy, which is much easier to do, I think, than unless you're particularly technically able and can uh, juggle two screens at once or whatever. But, yeah, I think I'm definitely a proponent of hard copy. So here's a question just on that. Do you find a lot of your cited, uh, like, readers and copy holders and stuff, do you find that they print the stuff in hard copy or do they tend they to do. read? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Uh, the majority yeah. of them will print it out themselves. There's a couple that will work solely from iPads, but they won't find it easy to mm. compare uh, two sections to check for repeats. And Especially if a notification yeah. comes in, they find they've tapped the Facebook instead of the, <laughs> the, you know, the Unless they tend to yeah. skip to the end of a document and wonder what happened, you know. So, yeah, I think mm. it's an interesting discussion. It is. And there's so many kind of nuances that we're all touching on too, because then it's it's like, you know, if I'm if I'm working on data analysis, so anyone, anyone who works on science or software development or math or anything like that, having mm -hmm. access to a full page becomes crucial. Yes. Um, and and so it's it, you know, I've seen studies and even in, in some of the research I've done in this area where there is no difference if you look at, you know, long-time experienced real readers, um, you know, necessarily in their reading comprehension or reading speed between a Braille display of the same length of line and a full page of Braille. But there's a lot more to it than comprehension and speed that, that you need to take into account. We're touching on all these, these things today. So yeah, definitely more research needed in all of these areas. It really is. 
It's 6.55. Perfect. So we need to start wrapping up. Excellent. Well, thank you, everyone, for that great discussion. And if you are not subscribed to the research committee list, um, contact ICEB, a visitor website, and, uh, and we'd love to have you participate. Thank you. Very well. Okay, well, we will resume again tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern time in the United States. And at the beginning of the agenda, it tells you what all the times are for all the member countries. It's whatever time it was today. Same, same day, same time, same place, same Zoom link. Uh, Jen, do you have anything you want to add? Uh, no, just to say that if anyone who's registered has any, if you need anything, if you have any, if, I hesitate to say it that way, but if there's anything you need and you need to get in touch with me, Croissant, oh, yes, yeah, I would love yeah, to send you yeah. all some nice hot croissant, <laughs> and I'd like to have some too, actually. And and um, chocolate croissant are are even better, I will say. Um, Almonds. Yes, you can get those too. Uh, <laughs> so now that we're all starving, um, <laughs> just to say that if there's anything you need to get in touch with with me in terms of the planning committee, info at blc lbc, which is Literati Prix Canada. Uh, .ca. So again, info at blc-lbc.ca. All right. Well, I will bid you all a fond farewell, and we will see you back here at 4 p.m. tomorrow. 2000 or whatever UTC. time. 2000 UTC. Thank you. <laughs> same yes. time, same place. Bye, everyone. Time, Bye, place. everyone. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Well, there you go. As we uh, we finish up for the day, you are listening to live coverage of the 2022 uh, Midterm Executive Committee meeting of the International Council on English Braille. My name is Matthew Horsepool and it is, uh, <laughs> would you believe, 11.57pm in the UK. So there you go. What's that? Uh, 10 minutes and 6.57pm in... Uh, the US and Canada, at least on the Eastern uh, time front. And well, wasn't that fun? We started um, late. <laughs> we, uh, we underran and uh, then we overran slightly and then we made up some time and then, and then we actually finished on time, but gave the research committee report uh, much more time than was on the agenda. And wasn't it wonderful? And we'll be checking back in with Natalie in just a moment uh, when she's had time to uh, reconnect on a slightly different link so we could get her on a different place on the mixer board. But just to give you a sense of the number of people who were in that meeting, uh, it stayed fairly uh, consistent. We had, um, just looking, 49 participants I counted at one point. And of those, 17 of them were required participants. So there was the executive, there were technical people, uh, and of course there was Debbie, who was the keynote speaker. Uh, but the rest of them, the 32, uh, were observers. So that's quite healthy, actually, considering that it is just a midterm executive meeting. To, it was really good to have uh, so many uh, observers there. I did note, um, I should have said earlier, for which I apologise, uh, there were some technical problem uh, with the, the sounds uh, that we got when people joined and left the Zoom meeting. They were 
uh, rectified. Uh, so we do apologise for those. If you're listening on the podcast, uh, I will try and get a copy of the meeting without those sounds on. So on the podcast, you won't get that. And similarly, um, there was a video played at the start uh, about Quebec, and there were um, a few interruptions during that. We do have a link to that video and we'll pop that in the show notes of the podcast uh, so that will be in stereo and you'll be able to listen to it uninterrupted so uh, we do apologize for all of that that uh, that happened there um if you would like to attend on zoom you still can uh, go to iceb.org forward slash register and if you do that you'll uh, fill in a, a form and we will send you the uh, reports, uh, the whole pack of papers, including the agenda and all the reports and stuff in Word and in BRF format. And you'll also uh, be able to join on Zoom rather than just listening into this live stream um, or this podcast. And at this point, I'm just going to um, look in a slightly different part of my screen and see if we have Natalie with us. Do we have Natalie with us at the moment? Yes. We do. Wonderful. Hello. It's wonderful to have you back. Loving the CanCon. I know that's not you necessarily, but it's it's yes. it, it's brilliant. Yes, we're trying to bring Canada to all of you. So <laughs> we can't quite give you all the, the food we've been talking about. Now we're all hungry, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll at least talk about it. And we promise not to sit here and eat it. Mm. And <laughs> well, it's working remarkably well. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's all gone really well today, hasn't it? What a wonderful first day. Absolutely. And you're so right. You know what you said at the, the start um, is that it just, we all just feel so motivated. You know, mm. We're all in the same room, whether it's virtual or in person. Um, you know, we start talking about Braille and suddenly the time just flies by and, you know, we were ahead of schedule, but then, you know, once the discussions really started, <laughs> we could have kept going, I'm sure. Absolutely. And I want to drill it down into some of that discussion. Just before I do, uh, we might get sidetracked um, if we don't get the procedural stuff out of the way. Um, the, the BLC symposium uh, was mentioned, and I didn't know if you wanted to repeat how to register for that, because that sounds really exciting. Absolutely. Yes. So the this will be the second annual Braille Literacy Canada Symposium. It will be held virtually on Zoom on June 17th from 1 to 5 p.m. Eastern North American time. Um, you can learn more about it on our homepage, BrailleLiteracyCanada.ca. You can write to us at info at blc-lbc.ca if you'd like to learn more or register. And we have four speakers, including the Brailleist Foundation, who's actually our, our, first, our first session. Um, and a couple of research presentations as well. Um, and then there's also a separate trivia event, a Braille trivia event that you're all welcome to attend as well. So definitely reach out and uh, feel free to join us if you are interested and available. Wonderful, thank you. I will definitely be there, not least because I'm the person who's presenting on behalf of the Braillist <laughs> Foundation. So uh, if, you, if you haven't heard enough of me by the end of this, uh, this this uh, coverage then please do go along to the blc symposium the other thing i wanted to just touch on because people are bound to ask afterwards um you mentioned that the icb research list now i don't know how the research list operates it's probably fair to say a lot of the lists that icb operates operate through the braille authorities so if you want to get added to an icb list as an observer you definitely can do that but 
don't contact ICEB about it. Contact your Braille authority. So whether that's Banner or or BLC or UCAF or uh, Roundtable, you know, ABA or or Banzat or Saba, um, you know, contact them in BAF. Um, and and then InBAF will nominate you, or or whatever Braille authority it happens to be, will nominate you uh, to the committee and then be added to the list. Is that the same for the research committee? Yes. And so the important piece of information there is that when you're added to the listserv, um, you will get an email that you need to respond to, to you know one of those automatic messages, so that you are officially added. So you need to confirm that mm-hmm. you would like yeah. to be added otherwise it won't work yeah so that yeah so. and you can't add yourself i think that was the critical point i was coming to you know we could we could give the the list address out but there's no point because you need to be nominated by a braille authority just so the list doesn't get full of people and traffic so this was a, a good day i mean it, uh, you know in a way i'm sort of thinking well it was kind of good that we underran because it gave more time for the uh, for the research committee uh, i mean it was wonderful i mean it started off you gave a report and i thought yeah okay that that's that was a good report and i thought how on earth are we going to get a discussion out of this and it sort of started off as it always does i think i mean it's the first day and people are still getting used to how do i unmute what's the protocol and and it started off a bit, you know, and I thought, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll finish well early. And then it just blossomed, didn't it? It did. And what's really interesting now, thinking about it, is we kind of ended where we started because Debbie in her presentation was talking about how important real formatting is and how good formatting is when you could quickly figure out what it is you're trying to read and braille is a bridge to technology and you can say the same vice versa technology is a bridge to braille Um, and it's kind of some of the things we touched on in that research discussion about the differences between hard copy and electronic braille and and some of those those important aspects of formatting and context and what's the best format for the best for what you're reading and what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I was really, really happy that Debbie brought that up. And I was really happy that it came up again um, in the the research thing, because there's a lot of talk in ICB about UEB and thus about code and about what do these dots mean? And, you know, should we use this contraction here? And should we use this sign there? And this is all very, very valid discussion. I, I participated in these discussions, right? But layout is something that I feel like it hasn't really been touched on maybe as much as it should have been. I feel like perhaps there should be more emphasis placed on good layout and layout that that actually means something. Yeah, absolutely. And you get that, like, again, you get that when you get a bunch of Braille readers together in a room, because if you're doing research um, and you know very little about Braille, which is sometimes the case, you know, you might be looking at really objective things like speed and which, you know, you need a certain amount of speed, sure. But, um, you know, there's all these other things around quality of experience and preference and, you know, how you feel when you're reading the Braille and just having control over the text when you're giving your presentation and what, you know, what subject you're reading and, these are things that you're not going to get from those discussions. Um, and so, you know, 
you get that when you talk to Braille readers. Mm. And the other thing I think that came out of today was formatting for different platforms. So actually the format of something, the layout of something for a hard copy publication may need to be different for optimal reading than the layout of the same publication, but for electronic Braille. And I was thinking back to, you know, I sing in the Cathedral Choir in Coventry and we have hymns and some of the hymns have choruses. And in the hard copy, you know, to minimize the amount of paper, you put that chorus in italics after the first verse and you never print it again. But actually in electronic, that just wouldn't work because you don't want to be panning back up. So actually you want the chorus after every verse. Yeah. And I think even connected to that, um, you know, this is, again, something that Debbie kind of touched on in her presentation. I think it came up other times as well is as we see Braille technology starts to evolve. It's also the excitement around EBRF and, you know, the ability to maybe more quickly navigate in a Braille file, a digital Braille file as well. Um, because, you know, this is one of the things you get from a, a well-formatted hard copy Braille text is you can quickly skim and jump around and find find what you're you're looking for in the same way you might not always be able to do um, in another context yes yeah absolutely so i mean there's so much we could talk about there's so much that's already been talked about i i think dare I say it because I'm talking to someone who's a PhD and you know spends her life researching and I definitely didn't go down that path and you know I looked at research and I just saw it as this you know this stuffy thing that middle class people do in you know well middle to upper class people do in universities and it doesn't really have any practical application and I just feel like this discussion today has really highlighted just what the practical applications of research are. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Right, we need to break through that <laughs> that idea because it doesn't help if researchers just talk to other researchers. You know, we need to <laughs> we we need to talk to uh, people who are actually using the things that people are writing about, and that's 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 the important piece because it does end up having an impact, or it can. There's sometimes good ways, and sometimes not so good ways, if the research doesn't reflect um, reality. Um, but certainly, I mean, you know, we're seeing it with with not just as the code continues to evolve, but even if you look at things like the Marrakesh Treaty and here in Canada, we have like new uh, Accessible Canada Act, for example. And so that's another example of how research on what's actually happening on the ground, how are these things being implemented? It's great that we have the, these guidelines and these treaties and this legislation, but how how is it working? How we can, can we best implement it? That's where kind of bridging that research practice gap can really help. Yes, and I think one of the things that I would like to see going forward is more contact between the research committee and other committees within ICB. I mean, I'm thinking about... Um, you know, the bridging stuff that you're talking about uh, and that came up in the discussion and Dr. Engelbretson's fascinating research. And that ties in very nicely with some of the work that Code Maintenance is doing on the EA sign and bridging prefixes and, and root words and root words and suffixes. And, you know, wouldn't it be it's wonderful like if... we run for yeah, people who... Yeah, redo or redo. redo. 
exactly. Yeah. And why can you do it with the ED sign and the ER sign, but you can't do it with the EA sign? And and you know, I'm sure there were rules and rationales for doing this, but wouldn't it be wonderful if CMC could benefit from what the research committee has found so that research is influencing what CMC does rather than just a, a bunch of people around a table, admittedly a bunch of learned, educated people, but, but still just a bunch of people when it boils down to it. Yeah. And I think that's definitely been, you know, discussion of, you know, that, that it's so important for committees to, to know what other committees are doing and to know what's happening on the research committee as well. Um, so definitely starting with um, Dr. Engelbretson's um, presentation later in June, kind of some of that discussion will, will be initiated, but we know I'm always thinking about how can we better um, engage in that conversation between different committees. Um, so one one thing I did want to highlight is that in in the quarterly newsletter, um, ICEB quarterly newsletter, there is a research committee report. There are reports from the other committees as well, um, and so you know I will I will continue to welcome and invite contributions uh, from our our. Uh, research representatives on the committee, but if you are an observer, even if you're not engaged in research, and you know you just have, you would like us to know about um, any relevant research or questions that you may have that you may wonder whether research has already kind of started to engage in. Um, you know, we we would definitely love to hear from you. Yeah, definitely. And um, there's an exception to every rule, isn't there? I've talked about ICEB lists and and how you need to be nominated by a Braille authority. For the newsletter, uh, you can get that via the website at icb.org or via, I believe, the icb-announce at groups.io list. And for that list, you don't have to be nominated by a Braille authority. The more the merrier on that list. Yeah, and it's a great way to share Braille news with other people who might not be involved in Braille at all. So that study that I mentioned about the 10% Braille literacy rate, I mean, probably all of us have been asked this question a million times. You know, is Braille still relevant? How many Braille readers <laughs> are there? <laughs> all the time. And, then, and we all have our kind of memorized answer at this point that we've just mm. launched into, right? And um, so now it's, it's, you know, it's always thinking about how do we make sure that the, the, all the right people know about this research that addresses a lot of these misconceptions. And I think the ICEB and the, the, the Braille Authority uh, social media platforms is one really good way for us to share um, some of that work that's being done. Um, and certainly calling on everyone who is, um, you know, receiving the ICB newsletter or who's, who follows us on social media to think about ways you can take what you learn and the things that are happening and share it with the people around you. Because I think one of the, you know, we do have all this great legislation and all this great work happening, but one of the, th- one of the things we still need to break through are some of those perceptions. I would agree with that. And uh, just as an aside, you mentioned the Braille literacy, you know, quantifying how many Braille readers there are. And, you know, it never occurred to me how those 
figures were reached until you brought that report up and and talked about it and uh, you know it's very logical when you think about it that people are reaching that by you know okay how many people ordered a braille bill versus how many people asked for a large print or a, an audio or an accessible you know electronic version or something or what have you and i mean it makes perfect sense now you mention it but until you'd mentioned it i hadn't realized that that was how the statistics were drawn up. And of course, yeah, well, I mean, of course it skews it negatively, doesn't it? Because, I mean, how many Braille readers do you know who don't get Braille bills because it's just easier to read it on the internet? So, yeah. 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 I just think it's so important to have that sort of information out there in the open so we can challenge it and so we can get better information out there. Yeah, and there's, you know, there are a lot of people who, for whatever reason, might primarily use braille for things that they do around the house they're still braille readers you know they're still using braille for however they want to use it in their lives and so you're not going to capture that from who's ordering a library book so i think it's also just you know we tend to you know you we we tend to see things that are are out there on the internet but just always thinking about what you're reading and you know, not necessarily uh, taking everything as, as completely accurate. And I think the other aspect of it too is even, even if there were a, a smaller percentage of Braille readers, which we don't have any accurate statistics at this point, it's also coming back to that, you know, what's most important is that everyone who can benefit from Braille has access to learn it and to use it um, and that, you know, quantifying things isn't necessarily the best way of of determining whether that thing is important no not least because of course we quantify it and we say well only 10 percent of people read braille therefore we probably shouldn't teach braille and you sort of go yeah but actually that's a self-fulfilling prophecy isn't it well of course only 10 percent of people read braille <laughs> if you've only taught it to 10 percent of people that's exactly it. And a lot of that, you know, this is why um, I'm especially excited that we're working on the Wikipedia pages right now, because a lot of people do get their information about Braille and, and blindness and, you know, just from doing, uh, performing just a regular Google search. And so it's just keeping an eye, monitoring what information is out there. And sometimes it is accurate, but it might be out of out of date, right? So you need to update it. Um, and so that's something I'm, I'm looking forward to us continuing going forward to. We have many other Wikipedia pages to look at still. <laughs> I bet, but it's really valuable work. And it's even just, you know, framing Braille in a positive light. You know, Braille is a system that was invented 200 years ago that is done on a manual typewriter that no blind person really uses anymore. I mean, that's not a very yeah, good yeah, you know, sales pitch for Braille, right? So, of course, we need to get the articles updated so it just sells it in a more positive way. Absolutely. It's all in, in how it's written as well, too. But it's true. I mean, you know, just even talking about all the different ways you can access Braille now, I'm just mentioning it briefly in a Wikipedia page, alert someone you know whoever's reading that page like oh okay so i guess braille still is being used today even though there's all this technology i mean as as debbie was speaking i was trying to remember what my first braille device was i'm not sure if you remember yours but... i i do it was a braille <laughs> what was it well my first braille device was a braille companion that was a braille input 
only device. And my first Braille display was in a note taker. It was the Braille Note Classic um, all the way back in 2001, I think, or maybe 2000. Yeah, so sim- similar that mine, uh, my first one that I remember is the Braille and Speak, which is also input only, if you remember that mm. device. I've heard of it. I, I'm a yeah. bit younger than you, I think, so I don't actually remember it, but I've yeah, heard of it. I think it was around the same time. But, yeah, it's, um, it, you know, there was no Braille display. There were input keys like a Perkins Brailler. Um, and then, you know, now here we are, and a lot of us <laughs> have seen many different size and types of Braille displays. So things things move quickly. Mm. Well... Needless to say, it was a wonderful report and a wonderful discussion and discussion will, I'm sure, continue uh, throughout the rest of the week and beyond and into 2024 and and on the list and off the list and and everywhere. And uh, it's wonderful to have kickstarted it today. I feel like we should perhaps give a little bit of attention to what happened in the rest of the meeting. um, Absolutely. Which, which, you know, it, it felt... Uh, I, I went into this saying this is not a general assembly, right? This is a midterm executive meeting. This is much more about business than the general assembly. And I've come away from it kind of going, actually, what's the difference between the general assembly and a midterm again? Because yeah, we're all here together virtually. So again, it's just, you know, there's there's much more opportunity for observers to comment mm. um, in this kind of format yeah. and to attend. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and the few bits of business that there were were so on uh, no so non-controversial as to not feel like business, right? I mean, we we had the treasurer's report. There were no questions. There were no comments. It was a very clear, easy to understand report. Um, no one's fiddling the books. So of course, it just went through, you know. And then you had the bylaws, which. I actually found really interesting to listen to because there was a lot of background there and I really applaud what Mary is trying to do. But really, the outcome of that report is Mary just needs to get on and do it with the help of the bylaws committee. And so there's not very much we can really talk about. So the business didn't take up that much time. Yeah, well, and I think one really important thing that Mary touched on is just being aware, and she, and she is, because she's been involved for so long, is being aware of all the the procedure around bylaws um, and ensuring that members have have them in advance, you know, the amount of time that they're supposed to have that information before the General Assembly and making sure all of that is organized because then everything else runs smoothly. So it's really, really good that we have uh, members on the executive who have that history and who are, you know, it's not always the most glamorous, maybe, or exciting of work to to hear about from the outside, but it's so important because it's how we're able to do everything else within ICB. Absolutely. It ensures the smooth running of the organization. It makes sure that, you know, we can't go and run off with the money and, you know, <laughs> spend it on whatever. It makes sure, we, you know, no one can go rogue or, you know, what to do if somebody goes rogue. Yeah, it, it's so, so, so important. Absolutely. Yes. And it was also nice to have that moment. I mean, it's always good when c- countries don't have to report 
um, any any losses from the Braille community, but it's also nice that we had that part of the agenda as well for in memoriam uh, to talk about members we've lost, um, and it's always good when that portion is short. <laughs> That's a good sign. It's a good so. sign, isn't it? Especially in the times that we live in, like you yes. kind of expect because we've been living through pandemic times that that number may have been significantly higher than it actually was. So it's really you know really encouraging that that number was so yeah. low. Absolutely. And it was also really nice just to hear from, um, you know, not just the executive, which, you know, for, for those of you who are attending for the first time, maybe you didn't know who all of us were <laughs> and why we're involved. So it was a good way to kind of have a bit of an introduction, but even just to hear from the observers who, was there, who were there and why they're interested in Braille and what brings them here. And that was really nice as well. Mm, and, and some observers who've been involved for a long time, but never been on the executive and you sort of forget about. But I mean, yes. you know, Christine Simpson, I mean, wonderful to have Christine here. You know, she she edited the rule book and she just kind of said this sentence, you know, oh, yeah, I'm Christine Simpson. I edited the rule book. And then you kind of take that sentence in and go the rule book that that, you know, that, this is this is not anything. This is the rules of unified English Braille. You know, the rule book, the UEB rule book that we use every day. And, and the editor just sits there in a meeting and goes, yeah, I, I edited the rule book. Nice to be yeah, here. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, that's reflective of the Braille community as a whole, isn't it? There are not many people in the Braille community that will stand up and say, look at me. I'm so fantastic. You know, most people are actually quite humble about the work that they do. True. And it, it goes, you know, almost unrecognized sometimes. Absolutely. Um, I think because we're all just so focused on the outcome of what we're trying to achieve and everything we do was somehow influenced by whoever came before us too so it's it's usually some some kind of collective effort but it's so true that there were you know um i was kind of smiling to myself when the observers were speaking because a few times i heard the comment oh i'm just an observer mm -hmm. <laughs> yes and, yeah and you know and and observers you know and the same could be said about members of braille authorities who aren't on the executive there are so many people who are working or even volunteering their time to make such a huge impact to the world of braille in their own countries on the international stage and you know there's a lot of work happening behind the scenes and it was really nice to hear Here's some new voices for me, but also hear some very familiar voices like Darlene Bogard and, and Phyllis. Uh, and Phyllis, of course, both of yeah. whom are from Canada. Canada's done really well in RCEB, hasn't it? <laughs> we are very proud of our members, but we know that you you all have your own <laughs> your own uh, mm. wonderful people as well. But but just looking at it, I mean, it was I'm sure it was the General Assembly in Canada in 2004 when UEB was adopted. Yeah, so UEB was adopted in Canada yeah. in 2010, but yes. No, but I mean, the, 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 in, the in General a, Assembly that, yeah. that, um, that what's ICB. it called? That, that, yeah. that, that declared that UEB was ready for adoption. I'm sure yes. that General Assembly was hosted by Canada. Yes, I think it was in 2004. Mm. It was before my time, but I believe you are correct. And uh, Phyllis Landon, of course, the, the previous um, code maintenance officer, Darlene Bogart, um, she was 
I can't remember what she did, but she was very involved in UEB from from she the very early stages. So many things. So many things. Um, Darlene was also one of our previous presidents. That Darlene was instrumental. You know, one of the instrumental people in the development of UEB, and she's she's made so many contributions. She, I know, we awarded her with um, our uh, president's award a few years ago in recognition of all she's she's done. And I know that the Vanna has has also. So yeah, we're very fortunate to have people who bring a long history and who have made huge contributions. Yeah, I'm I'm just thinking back. There was the chair of the code maintenance committee. That was Phyllis. And Darlene's yeah. position was essentially Phyllis, but it, it was a different title and I forget what it was, but that whatever Darlene's position was became chair of the code maintenance committee. I think Phyllis took over at that point and then it became code maintenance officer. And there's a Darlene Bogart Braille Excellence Award now. Yes, Dana. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Exactly. So lots of people doing a lot of great things. So it's 28 minutes past the next hour. So we've, I think we've probably gone on for uh, about long enough, uh, but it's been wonderful to have you uh, with the commentary. You'll be back on Thursday. Is that right? Yes. So I started off and I ended off. And so. no, that's right. And it's been wonderful to, to have you just looking ahead to tomorrow. We'll be starting around about the same sort of time, possibly slightly later on the stream, but the meeting will be starting as as today at 4 p.m. in U.S. Eastern Time with the uh, Public Relations Committee report. Uh, discussion. This is an interesting one. Discussion of independent efforts to create new Braille codes and tables. Open discussion on the promotion of Braille. And then a bit later on, we have digitizing hard copy braille music that's an invited speaker the music braille committee report and an open discussion on music braille that's all coming up tomorrow please do stay tuned i guess you're part of the executive so of course you're going to be there but i mean there's there's plenty to look forward to in that right there's a lot of discussion in there for sure so lots of opportunities to do much of what we did today so that'll be that'll be really exciting Mm mm-hmm so I will leave it there. Tomorrow I will be joined by Kim Kilpatrick, I think is how you pronounce her name. You might be able to tell me, actually. Have I, have I got yes. that right? Kim Kilpatrick, yes. Yeah. Kim Kilpatrick and Ashley Shaw. And we will find out more about Kim and Ashley when they join me on the live stream tomorrow. If you're looking for the podcast, uh, it's at live.brailcast.com or you can search for ICEB in your podcast client of choice i'm gonna run off and uh, get something to eat actually and uh, once i've done that i'll get on and put chapter marks in this podcast and get it uploaded so it should be there within the next sort of three or four hours or so uh, but for now from myself matthew horsepool and from natalie martin yellow thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again soon bye for now take care everyone